He is risen. You are paid for. You are immortal now. You can hear my child calling through the window. Hello, hallelujah. And he's not going to be long now. Anyway, the water seals it. The bread, the wine, they feed it. This is Christianity. You should join us. I hope to talk you into it this morning. I'm the Mad Christian Reverend Jonathan Fisk. We got your questions and God's answers, my answers, wisdom answers. Let us reason together and see if we can find what the Holy Spirit has brought through the church, through Jesus Christ, the Word of God, into our midst to answer our questions and then show us the way we should go together, hopefully, in unity and wisdom and truth. Oh my goodness, so what should we do first? I think I'm going to try this out. We're going to go right to our alt cam. We're going to slide right into this idea coming out of where we just were a moment ago. The words of life. You can find this not only here, but for free in the PDF. You'll sign up for my newsletter, Mad Mondays. Uh, you'll see, you'll get a book that's a PDF that tells you how to talk about this with this list and use it for your friends and neighbors to help them understand your Christianity. Moving from that into redefining reframing, reimagining your world as a, well, as a game, as a game. Now, I'm not sure that I can really entirely sell you on this. I'm not sure I have to. The first thing you have to know is that it's a game. (laughs) You know, your life as you observe it is either a game you're winning or a game you're losing. And a lot of that depends on how you're going to define the game. What are the rules? Any game you want to play has got to have rules, right? How are you defining what you're observing in in the world, what comes at you? That's the game you're playing. Now, the most important question for a Christian who is going to live a proverbial life is, am I playing the game that God has given me, which is the narrow way of faith alone in the word of God to prove itself true over the chaotic seas and storms of this present age of darkness and lies? Uh, or am I playing the game of this present age of darkness and lies, the, the wide and narrow path that leads to destruction, on which many, many, many people are going, and all of them that are on are like, this is the way to salvation. I would contend, I'm contending more and more, that even if you haven't meant to be playing the wide and narrow road game, here in ye olde Western civilization, Americana and whatnot, um, you might have been playing more than you wanted to recently. And you might have had COVID sort of make you think that, but maybe not in those words, right? But you're kind of like, what have I been doing? Why? Right? And, and wherever you are, that question is going to run into your, your base principle, your main framework for thinking, your worldview, is you try to find an answer to why. What am I doing? How did I get to this point? And I'm wearing a mask, afraid of this person at Costco. I'm talking about when it first happened, right? And when we we're allowed to go shopping, and like she got within six feet, oh my gosh. You know, uh, and then why? Why the oh my gosh? Why not the, pardon me, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, back away, ma'am, right? Which game was I playing? And, and the game of being immortal versus the game of being dead and not sure. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a radical difference in what that means, just for what you think on a daily basis. As we've talked about here before, it does impact how you feel on a daily basis. It doesn't make all your feelings good by any kind of like fleshly test, right? Uh, but it certainly puts even those, those feelings we would call bad, like pain, into a context in which it becomes more of a fuel uh, than a hindrance, even if it doesn't stop. Mm. That's the secret of martyrdom. It's the secret of the witness of Christianity. It's the secret of contentment. 
It's a game, though, in your head. It's a game of words. God's playing the game. It's the game he created. The narrow road he's put you on. What I want to do, what I want to try to do, is see if I can help you take a step back then and realize that the imagining it as a video game for 10 seconds or 30 or all day long can really help you uh, shock the system with everything you've learned from, from your COVID experience, right? So just go on a little journey of, of lunacy with me, right? Uh, it's not a special moon day at all, but no reason not to have a nice story. So if you've not ever heard me talk about The Matrix before, it's a movie about computers running everything by controlling your mind, more or less. And so the reality that you see is not real at all. It's like just a show. Not so different from George Orwell's 1984 gimmick. Uh, very similar, in fact. So the, this idea of human control, mind control has been around for a long time. So just pretend for a moment that there's a world in which the entire gambit of a demon that's trying to undo what the god that made that world made and, and plunge it into darkness, not of light, where that demon needs you to look at an image and trust it and what it says, no matter what, more than what God has said that you, you can see, but you can't. You can't look on the face of God right now. So if that were happening, wouldn't it be cool if like that demon could create a statue that would like carry information, talk, maybe even like grab and become an addictive chemical reaction in the brain of anyone who saw it so they would walk around all day you know, worshiping it, sort of, just kind of worshiping it, knowing that comfort and hope and life and the future comes from being near this, this glowing, talking head, this God of mine. I'm, I'm just, it's just a story, right? I'm, I, <laughs> I have a phone. <laughs> I'm looking at a camera. There's a screen right there, right? But just imagine, you know, that if you don't know it, you're being mind controlled every time. Matrix. If you didn't watch the movie, uh, sorry, uh, you got you to gotta have the movie behind you a little bit on this one, but in the Matrix, to get out, they pull a, a needle out of the back of your head. <laughs> and you're like, whoa, I woke up, right? All you got to do to get out is put the phone down, turn the TV off, open Proverbs, and start reading it, and start writing it. And when you go back, you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, everything is different. They're saying stuff. That doesn't jive. Whoa, that went fast. Why didn't we remember that we just said this? It seems like they're not rational. Oh, yes. That's, that's the key, right? So that the fool is not rational. That's the key. So I want to I wanna go to Proverbs here in a moment. But first, the game, the game, the game. So, so you're in this video game. You, uh, this is just a story. It's a video game in which the demon has done this through people. And so the, the phones in the video game are, in fact, controlling everyone's minds. Like, this is it's just a story. It's not real. Just pretend it's real, right? Now, imagine that that's actually real and think about what you'd do next. That makes life kind of fun. <laughs> it's crazy like like you're like oh wait it's scary no no it's just an imaginary game i'm playing with my religion's truth to help me realize what's really going on that god's entirely in control of but if i'm going to ask the question what am i going to do next maybe the answer of what his word says is more valuable than what i think in this game and and just like that you can like again build a a mental framework internally for tricking yourself uh, into thinking a different thought than the one you were previously having, be it fear, loathing, dread, all that kind of stuff. 
Um, it, it, Stoics do this all the time. This is not like necessarily a Christian trick. It is a Jedi mind trick, but it's, it's not a Christian trick. Uh, it is a understanding how language, mouth, mind, heart work together trick. Right? which those of Eastern mysticism are generally more well aware of than, than we in the West who've been debodied here. You know, we, we, are, we are non-body creatures. We all are. We all care about our flesh a great deal. We are trying to keep ourselves from dying all the time. But in terms of how we think about our identity, our body is not the primary thing we look at. Hence, we're arguing about whether people are men or women and things like that, right? So, um, which maybe segues us out a little bit here. I just wanted to give you a touch of this. This idea of... And for me, it's a pause button. I, I played a lot of Skyrim, a lot of Fallout. So let's go back to this view here for a second. Imagine, I can't do it with two hands, right? But, you know, if you're playing any first-person shooter, you hit, you're moving around, and it looks like this, right? I should get the camera to go on my head. You move around, it looks like this, and you usually have two hands. My hands, I'm running. Look at me run. Whoa, I'm running on the screen. It's false. Move it. If, you, if this was like coming towards you, you'd feel a significant source of pleasure. This is how video games work because they make you feel like you're running forward. Of course, just the hand doesn't really work. You'd need the thing coming towards you. A uh, false sense of movement forward That's part of the addiction. In any case, you know, it, this image uh, and then going pause. So like I imagine this menu goes and like this card is like right here in the middle of my menu. And it's like, okay, options. What can I do? I could type, right? What can I do? Oh, I could go into this and pick it up and read it. And in my video game, it's actually a real book with like a lore. It's pretty amazing, right? It's just like you need to read the lore in the real game, right? Oh, look over here. We say, oh, more lore. Oh, look, this is magic buttons. Cool, right? Shh, go back from pause. Like that's weird, right? Totally geeky thing to do right there. But the point for me is that it takes a, a, a pleasurable memory that I have, which is for whatever reason, pushing pause in those games and going to my menus feels good. I don't, I don't know why. Good, goodness gracious. I think about it now. It's like, I mean, it can't really be good for your body to do that forever, <laughs> right? But, but the memory, the memory of that pause and the sound, I can hear it in the fall. Like, you know, if Pit-Boy comes up, it's just, it's a good feeling for me. It's a good nostalgic feeling. So what am I trying to do? I'm trying to build it into my day. So it just happens with what really happens as opposed to some VR fake thing, right? Uh, and it works, right? Every time I pause and think and I run, my faith in what the Word of God says about reality through this game concept, gamifying. And if you don't, if you think I'm making up gamifying because you're in the LCMS and you don't read anything outside of the LCMS, go look up uh, game theory. I mean, this is this is like high-end math science stuff again. I'm not good at it. I'm not saying that. But having heard of it, seeing it, it's like, oh, you can gamify anything. You can turn anything into a game and it will make it more fun. I mean, whistle while you work, do-do-do-do-do-do-do. It's not like it's not ancient wisdom either. <laughs> right? So, well, we just have a complex world, a dystopic, matrix-like world with too much input. So how are you going to make the game? For me, it turned into VR. VR, I got, I got RR, <laughs> real reality, a massively multiplayer reality in which, from a first-person perspective, I have a religion that is a game of character and virtue – in which I, in fact, need to rely on a God to enable me to engage you with goodness and light as opposed to darkness, right? Um, I just, I mean, it sounds like a nice way to live to me, so I'm going to keep trying it, right? You don't have to join me on that. What you can do, for certain, you probably should do, is at least check out a little Proverbs with me this morning here. Here we go. So, if you're into the smart noting thing, this is my smart note book of Proverbs. 
So currently, I'm going through and trying to daily, I've really stalled in chapter four, but uh, trying to daily do at least one verse in summary or in gisting, right? So it's not that I copy it. In fact, I try not to put the actual words. I did here for one seven because uh, it's just so substantial, but I try not to put the actual words. I try to take it in and translate it. I, I trust that the Holy Spirit within me has given me the power to understand the scriptures and translate the scriptures, and at least in iron sharpening iron with other Christians, we will find the crimson thread, really the golden crimson thread of truth, law gospel, all the way through scripture, right? So so we can translate the scriptures to learn them. In fact, we have to. You, you really never make it your own if you can't put it in your own words. So what I want to do this morning is just give you a little bit of, of Proverbs, although we're going to be completely out of order here. But you know, here's my, my opening page that I've... Uh, it would be at the back because everything's reversed as I pile just upwards rather than put everything at the back going forward. But this is like my cover, right? So I want to see this all the time and remember this all the time. That the, I'm going to start with one seven here, right? That the fear of Jesus, whatever that means, let's learn that together. But know it. The fear of Jesus is the beginning of knowledge. But a fool despises wisdom and instruction. Now, this dichotomy here is not exactly equal. At least not on the surface. It, first it says if you really want to have enlightenment, understanding, you must be a Christian. But that a fool is not, not a Christian first. A fool first just hates words. right? And so to not be a Christian is only to have some of the lack of instruction. But anyone who loves wisdom and instruction, what this says is that the electing power of the word of God is going to come to them and, and change them. right? But then that... They can make themselves a fool. Everyone can. So this, this is like the battle of election, right? There's, a, there's an acting, electing God who's doing all the work to save, and then there's us resisting. And we want to try to make it a mathematical equation in our heads to solve it, and, and it won't work. What we can know, though, again, is that the definition of a fool, you don't want to be a fool. You don't want to commit the high-handed sin. I mean, we're going to talk about that in a moment, too. You don't want to commit the high-handed sin. Don't hate the Bible. Don't hate being corrected by the Bible. Don't... Be so proud of what you think and what you've said that you will not be corrected, period. Right? That, that's it. Uh, that's what a fool is. He will not take correction. Uh, how many minutes of wisdom is, is too much wisdom, right? Oh, goodness gracious. To trust God, you though must fear him more than other people or things. So before you're ever going to stop being a fool, you're going to have to learn that you do fear other things. You fear other things way too much all the time. And that is a lack of trust in God. Confessing that. Confessing that it's a lack of trust in God is a trust in God. Because <laughs> you can only confess it when you know that you have the grace to approach a holy God that way. And nobody who has a real God who doesn't have the grace of Jesus would ever be able to confess such a thing. It's only because we have Christ that we can say, oh yeah, absolutely, um, I fear other things more than God. But that is a God-fearing statement. <laughs> uh, it's a very God-fearing statement. So that this too then, the one who is wise, you want wisdom at all? You want the king's wisdom, Jesus' wisdom? The one who is wise is wise because he knows these things and these things are then what the rest of the book will detail, even down to the specifics of your, your life, uh, kind of with your neighbor. Yeah? There's only one solution to this life is to get as much wisdom as you can and that's of course going to be Jesus at the end. And where, where Jesus is found, where his wisdom is found, he will always be found, which is why the idea you're going to find him in new things or searching the wind as opposed to in his word or in the, the sacramental, the mysterious places. He said, I'm always going to be here. Uh, that's, that's a foolish thing to do, right? Since wisdom is stable, wisdom is steadfast, wisdom is not chaos, wisdom is better, this is verse 6 here, better than a thing and not less than a person. This is kind of uh, leading, trying to, to see that in, in this early section, 4-6, it's setting up the uh, the person of wisdom, 
right, who uh, up through chapter 8 will be uh, increasingly a human uh, that is to be seen and adored. A female, a female, right? Uh, The thing is that femaleness is because the word wisdom in Hebrew is a female root, excuse me, uh, yeah, uh, conjugation, uh, always has to be, however that works, a female gender is a noun, it's always female, uh, so it had to be female in the Old Testament, we know that Jesus has fulfilled this as the word made flesh, so whatever, it's the wisdom of the king, so in any case, this person wisdom who is being uh, talked about, this person wisdom is better than a thing, it's not just a, a, an idea, it's not just love, right? Uh, it is, in fact, personified. Wisdom may be loved like a wife, though. So that's because of the personification of wisdom, being Jesus, in fact, in the end, God in the end. But uh, a, knowing you have a human-like countenance who can engage you intellectually and is above you yet for you, right? Uh, you can love that person uh, as one loves a wife, and you can worship that person as one worships a God, right? And that's pretty sweet if you think about it. Uh, that's what Jesus is. Uh, wisdom is then the first, first principle. Before all other principles is him, the word who became flesh, who speaks understanding. Uh, in all lear- learning, wisdom is the learning. Uh, the, the path from information to information, the way that you reflect the image of God as a creature is that you can gain wisdom by learning. Like that, that's an amazing thing, right? Animals have instinct and they can be trained, but you have a whole different level of thing called wisdom, which is the power to learn, repeat, improve, grow, all as gift from God. So stake your life on this, right? And, and see how honor will, will embrace you. It's a stand here. There's, there's a little more on the page, but the idea is that wisdom cannot fail you, even if it appears to in a moment, even if all things collapse, as in Job's life, it, all things are restored tenfold and more, as in Job's life, and then the world to come. And Jesus talks this way too. And we should just believe him. So, that, I mean, yeah, if you're going to be martyred, you're going to be martyred. And then it's all going to come back better. Right? It's, it's a glorious reality. And our fear of that really is, is a sad thing. Uh, so stake your life on wisdom and, and you will find honor. You will find honor in your own heart. You'll be able to look yourself in the mirror and not be ashamed of yourself. Why? Because Jesus, not you. Because <laughs> you're his, not your own. Uh, uh, when, you, when you belong to someone else, you don't get to make the rules about how you feel. He gets to tell you how to feel. Uh, everybody still feels this way. Oh, yeah, okay. That's what you think. <laughs> yeah, he's, he is that much of your God. Uh, so stake your life on that. Put some effort into that, right? Uh, believe in that. I'm not telling you again. Please, please, please. If you need medication, take medication. Yeah. Uh, if you need counseling, go to counseling. But know that there is a quenching reality below and behind all the rest of those good things you can do to self-improve and self-control and deal with trauma and all that, right? Yeah, you need to do that. But underneath this, stake your life on wisdom and honor will embrace you for there. Uh, is a story that is greater, I think it's going to say, than yours. No, oh, oh, than death. Oh, look at that. There is a story that is greater than death. Uh, we're going to come back with your questions and uh, some of my answers here in just a moment on Mad Christianity. I'm going to take one minute break. We're going to also be doing a little bit of talk them into it, going straight through it after that, as well as updates on things like Sons of Solomon and the Mad Christian Discord, which is on its way. I mean, it really is super close. I know a lot of you are like, how can we start? How can we start? There's going to be some answers to that by the end of the show. I'm going to drink a little water, drink a little coffee. I'll be right back. Um, oh, that's marvelous. I hit a button. That's marvelous. Not now, I'm going to say. Please, please don't ruin the stream. <laughs> so clearly, that file's not available. Let's try this one. Oh, no. Can I? No, no. So what is... Oh. <laughs> so I'm going to laugh now. Oh, my goodness. I don't even know what's going on. How did that happen? So I've hit some buttons. There. 
there, now we're back to normal. That is bizarre. All right, so what's happening is I'm missing some files that I must have moved a file folder around on my computer as I got my old computer back. Do you guys remember this? When I lost my computer last Christmas, <laughs> not lost. It was it was taken to a store to be repaired last Christmas and might, might as well have been lost for a very long time. So I'm in the process of attempting to move back toward using that computer. I clearly have moved a file around somewhere on my desktop and now I just have to find this here and I will say, where's the one minute? It's, I'm almost there. I'm so close. Bear with me, people. I know you're my friends. Come on. Come on. We can do it. We can pull it right here. Just like that. All right, so <laughs> I kind of got my bearings, but I wasn't trying to get out of that since I dragged and dropped that rather than set it up the way I ought to have done. But at least I sort of know where we're going to go now, which I'm pretty confident is right here. And I'm pretty sure once we do that, we can jump immediately into controversy as fast as possible. So I was having discussions, says Anonymous, with a loved one over homosexuality or what you might call same-sex attraction. We want to really understand a thing. We got to be very clear what we're talking about. So if I'm going to talk about homosexuality in this conversation later when people want to chop it up and say I said things. They really ought to, if they're honest people, go back to this point and understand that I'm going to define this word as meaning one thing and not another thing. To be clear, and and that clear thing is that if you're going to talk about the attraction of a man to a man, same sex attraction, sexually, that's a different thing than talking about homosexuality, which is the identification of a man as unable to be attracted to a woman. And while there's a probably a wide spectrum between those two things, right? I think you need to start with understanding that what Christianity and the Bible is generally dealing with is the action of same-sex attraction acted out, right? There's all sorts of adulterous lust that occurs in the hearts of men. Greedy lust, too. You don't even have to lust for a woman. You can just lust for power and stuff yourself. And among those are things that, when acted out, harm other people significantly or on a spectrum of level, right? And generally, the punishment fits the crime in in civil society. And this, we believe, is also God's will. So if we're going to talk about something that we want to draw a line on, this is good, this is evil, this is helpful, this is hurtful, this is beneficial, this is harmful, what I'm going to talk about now is beginning with you have same-sex sexual attraction. What do you do with that? What does the Bible say about that? Okay? So there are a few points uh, that the, your loved one you're in a conversation with makes that you're having a hard time explaining back. Cool. Uh, now, I care greatly for this loved one, and I'm not sure how to better address these things. This person's a Christian. Right? I'm, I'm assuming it's an individual. Notice how the gender pronouns have been changed because of we're so afraid of saying he, right, or she. I get it, but now plural, right? No one's a plural, and yet we all have become plurals by force. We're losing our identity. Uh, the Enlightenment, as in historically Western Enlightenment, uh, libertation, uh, yeah, liberation of man's mind, it is being stripped from us in our language, and they say it's given us freedom. But now you can't be a he or a she. I must be a they. How odd. Yes, they are a Christian. Good. And I don't want to pick on you, right? This is just something we all do. We all do this. And it's, it's happening. It's what's so scary is you can watch our language being taken out from under our feet. Yeah, and that's, that's an, as a people who live on the word, right? uh, that, that's disturbing. It's a direct assault. Uh, so your friend's a Christian. As our most, as far as most of what we believe with Jesus, God said, so, so the Christian that you're talking to, the person believes in the resurrection, right? That, that list of things I gave before, he is risen. You are paid for. He will return again. <laughs> uh, the, the water, 
seals it, the bread feeds it. That stuff's pretty important too. But so this person though believes in the resurrection. Let's just start with that. Okay, cool. Uh, but have a different view, understanding of same-sex attraction as, quote, sin. Uh, women being allowed or not allowed to be pastors, men being the true leader of the wife household, uh, that is that it should be equal. Right. So what you're saying saying is that the most quintessential heretical diabolical lie in the history of the last 500 years this person still clings to. Cool. Sorry, friend. Uh, now, I know you're going to hate me immediately, right? You're going to hate me immediately if you're watching this. But it is that bad. Does a fool hear something that is bad and say, hmm, I should think about it? Or does a fool just get angry and say no? So you, you can decide right now. Maybe I'm just being inflammatory. Maybe when the revelation of Jesus displays that the identity of God is, before all things, the Father, unbegotten, from whom every father, that is, family, but Father, in heaven and earth, that is, angelically too, whatever that means, in those orders, all the authority that runs through this idea, idea and identification of the Father as distinct from Son, and also then man as distinct from woman, as a revelation of this. Jesus as distinct from you as your King. All of that because God is eternally Father. And, and, and you want me to like be like, oh, it's okay to say that the man's not the head of the house. Uh, you, you have to see this is more than just a thing. This is like the heartbeat of heresy right now. In, in the world. This is where the devil's got his game. Is he's convinced you that you're not what you are. Man or woman. Doesn't matter. You're not one or the other. You're both somehow, right? That's made things awkward for a lot of people. Doesn't really work out so well. We'll talk more about the specifics of the arguments. We're going to get into the Bible text that you're going to reference a little bit. And because those matter. But at the end of the day, what I just said is, is kind of the thing, right? That's the answer. Like, do, do you realize that there are, there is a real attack on manhood going on so that the best that we see ever as an example is what they call toxic masculinity. And like that actually inspires people because it's the, it's the most that we really let people be masculine is when we show how bad they can be. That's awful. How do we, how do we have a better demonstration of that? Oh, we can't. It's, be, it's being attacked and suppressed. The father as an idea isn't even allowed to exist, period. So you're touching on a nerve here for me a little bit. Uh, not because I'm a man and I want my power back. Uh, I really want my family to be safe, healthy, faithful, uh, trusting, virtuous, good. And the Bible says, that's my job, not my wife's. It's my job. My wife's here. She's awesome. She's supposed to help me. And goodness gracious, if she weren't here, I would have messed it up way worse than I have. But who is responsible? I'm actually responsible for her too. That's what the Bible says. Right. That's a pretty big deal. To, to go to one passage and try to try to wrestle with this and just recognize like all these things, any change you're talking about right here, it's brand new in the last, oh, it's been a little while, since the 60s, right? Brand new in the last 80, 60, 75 years. Brand new to Christianity. Brand spanking new. And you, you tell me, all these Christian churches that are closing and are empty, all these changes that we've made, <laughs> so that's where I'm starting from. <laughs> and I'm sorry if this, this offends you, but um, your position offends me a lot. So I think I've been really gentle, actually, as I've told you with honesty, integrity, and, uh, and gentleness, like, like actually caring for you, the viewer, um, the reality, uh, prophetic reality, and I, uh, uh, an apocalyptic reality. I mean, maybe you don't believe that there's 
an end times spiritual reigning evil king who's been around since Jesus bound him to earth with a little season in which he wants to deceive the nations with that. That means you to take you back out of the church. Maybe you don't believe that part because I don't know. I mean, we, you believe some things, but not other things. The Bible is okay and not okay other times. Right. So I don't know. Right. But to, to me, like my skin's in this game. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I take the text as God on the surface. And with that, then let's, let's look at a couple of these things here. Right. Uh, some actuals, some actuals. I can just bark a lot, but all right. So here's, here's the first argument. Uh, your friend says that parts in Romans were written for the current culture, meaning the Roman culture, right? Uh, and as God changed the laws, rules for Moses uh, that was needed and required, and now we don't need or require to follow the same thing applies now with homosexuality, right? So I don't follow this one, but I'm trying to explain better why certain parts of the law aren't followed anymore. Right. So it's like, there's like two things going on there. And the first one, you just have to sort of know that if anybody says this, they are, they are nigh on the most ignorant person. I heard someone say slavery was invented in the 1820s to keep black people. No, police were invented in the 1820s to keep black people as slaves. And I think it's just stunning lack of amazing level of ignorance to think that nobody ever patrolled their streets in any city before there were black slaves in America. I mean, just a stunning level of ignorance. Right. But this is like on that level. Like this is really close to say that what Paul writes in Romans is because he's saying what the current Roman culture says. Like that is no, 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 no. Uh, same sex attraction, action, polyamory, pedophilia, uh, animal nature kind of things with drunken orgies where you're puking on each other, taking showers, and then doing it again. Like. That was the norm in, in hoity-toity, you know, lizard people Rome. <laughs> uh, and so no, Paul's not really, really talking with the culture. He is talking with Hebraic, you know, synagogal, diasporatic, Old Testament Bible culture. Definitely. He's definitely in line with what the Bible says at this point, right? I know. You're like, you're like, oh, Fisk, you're so angry. I am angry. You're attacking the word of God. With complete ignorance, if you're going to say he's writing for Roman culture, you don't even know what Roman culture. I can just I can defeat you with Roman culture, not with the Bible. I don't even need the Bible to defeat you on that one. Is it a game of winning? Well, is it a game of truth or not? I don't want to win. I want to be true. I want to be I want to be corrected if I'm wrong, but I'm not going to be corrected at all by somebody who knows so little. Now, maybe this is just a mistyping. It sounds like you haven't understood the argument yourself, uh, the, the person bringing it. So if you're, if you're watching this, you're angry. It's like, well, yeah, he's not making the best argument for you. The rest of, of point number one here uh, fits a little better. Like there's, there's more of a real argument here, uh, which is the idea that if you read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you find a great deal of prescription, a great deal of do this, do this, do this, or else. And we don't do a lot of those things anymore, a grand number of them. And this is because, as the New Testament says, those things were shadows that were fulfilled by Christ, that he is the ultimate sacrifice, so no more sacrifices need to be made. And because no more sacrifices need to be made to atone for the sins of the world, that all that remains is the sacrifice of praise, that is to not really sacrifice at all, but to receive and give to others, I that reality uh, stands. Um, that reality then can be built upon by someone to say, "Well, why can't or why do we hold on to these other things in the Old Testament? How do we know, say, you shall not murder is still right or wrong? How do we know that, say, I don't know, you shouldn't eat shellfish raw? 
at least we know that much, right? But, but you know, it shouldn't eat shellfish. How do we know that that's right or wrong? Um, uh, which ones are we allowed to do? Which ones are not allowed to do? And then once you make that argument, well, then why can't we have a, more, a free or more liberating sexual view in view of the gospel of grace? Right? I, I think I'm making their case and not making a straw man argument. So if you're like, how can you say that? I, well, that's their argument. That's their argument. Um, I don't think it's right because what it's doing is it's saying that therefore there is nothing that is substantially true in Old Testament law. That none of the law had a purpose that was based upon created order facts. It's all just sort of random. And I think you also then have the issue of, I mean, it's one thing to say, all right, we probably shouldn't slaughter the bulls and goats anymore on the altar since he said this is the New Testament in his blood and all that, right? right, Maybe we should pay attention to those words. But like Paul's pretty clear throughout the New Testament, like adultery in general, lying in general, stealing in general. Most people still feel this way. Even the adultery one, like you cheat on someone, they feel like you're a cheater, you know, like it's been it's been without faith, which is the whole idea. You kill someone, I mean, they get pretty upset, even if you're doing it in self-defense these days, peers. So so we all still have that, but then you want to then take that away only in part. And and this is where the the argument is if you're gonna go back to the old testament and you're gonna strip away stuff, but that stuff's also in the New Testament, well then you're not really using this principle. And since the argument is going to be about the book of Romans mostly, right? Isn't it? I thought it was. Yeah. Well, then, see, you're, you're completely just trying to hold up two things that go in completely different directions. So the thing to do about, say, marriage in the Old Testament and the text about whether same-sex attraction is taught in the Old Testament or not is something that's good or available, or just Moses being bigoted now it's fallen away, is to ask the bigger picture, what does the entire Scripture say about that reality as a whole, with Scripture interpreting the entire Scripture? And there you find that while uh, the New Testament certainly does still say that same-sex attraction is not the way that God built people to have babies, and babies are what marriage and life are ultimately for, like to share with others the goodness of what you've received, to pass it forward. Like Because of that, then, this just isn't according to the design, and, and that's as obvious as the day is long for anybody who wants to look at it. You don't have to make a big a big fuss about it. But then the issue is that, you know, if you're going to go do that, what are the, what are the results of dis, uh, dis disjointing the design, right? And now take this away from this particular topic for just a moment and think about, say, say stealing, right? Or say lying. What happens when you, well, you take something that you didn't earn in some way? Well, either you feel bad about it or you bend your conscience and change reality so you're okay with stealing and then you're willing to steal more, right? So <clears throat> the problem here is not that you're just dealing with one thing problem is that you're dealing with the entire commandment regarding sex and marriage. There's only one reality. We were built to do something with these parts or not. And if you don't believe that at all, again, I, I say now you're really, I'm, I'm going to ask you, do you really believe in a resurrected Jesus and an end times antichrist and a church floating on the waters in which the tides of darkness are going to try to submerge us, but we like the ark must carry the word of God through it. And we will because the spirit's going to like, 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 I think that's a more important conversation if we're going to argue about the narrows of whether or not uh, homosexuality uh, in Moses is one of the things we should bring forward, but leaving like the shrimp, I saw, <laughs> I saw the shrimp in the right hand side, the comments, uh, leaving the shrimp behind, right? Uh, so, okay, let's move on to the, the other two arguments. Uh, they say Jesus fulfilled the law, according to Jesus, it's true, he did, and that Jesus only confirmed the Ten Commandments as needing to be followed. Okay, so it's the Sixth Commandment, what's that mean? You think that just like is by itself, adultery has a meaning? 
that you don't need to explain or doesn't impact how you do what you do with your gonads. I mean, your genomes, you know, your, your uh, what's the other word? Your, your, your copulating parts, right? Uh, the things that make other humans, uh, you know, so... Uh, of course, homosexuality isn't mentioned in the Ten Commandments. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure you shall not commit adultery is really clear. Like, it's right there. What's that mean? I don't know. Okay, well, if you don't know, you should go find out what the rest of the Bible says about adultery. And it's very clear. It's the use of your parts for anything that is not a publicly consecrated marriage under God to bring about tribe, one way or the other. And yeah, we're in a fallen world where some people don't get to be participate in the same way all the time. It's the way it goes. It's hard. It's not always good. We grieve over these things. But still the reality. It's what, it's what it's here for. And living in full rebellion against that, as Western Civ is doing, and then we're dying. We're like eating ourselves alive. We're killing our babies. Uh, we're not having any babies. And we're tearing down our civilization, saying it's systematically evil. Well, I, I have a different point of view than those who are both tearing down and the people who are building what's being torn down on, on good and evil. So I'm not, I'm not convinced I'm with all of that, right? <laughs> uh, and, and it has to do a lot with that I do believe you should not commit adultery, is a much larger commentary than just don't cheat on your wife. Like it's at least don't cheat on your husband too, right? There's maybe a bit more to it than that. But of course, if if you're too quick to think you know it, well, then I guess it doesn't matter. So I'm going to say that Jesus very much taught this in the Ten Commandments. I'm going to say Jesus very much taught this. So let's just cut through all the rest of it with a knife. You really want to get to the, the quick of it, right? Well, well the Ten Commandments might have said it, and the Old Testament said it, but Jesus fulfilled the law, the New Testament's been fulfilled, and so all things are love, and we're always learning new things. Even the New Testament says it's wrong. It's not necessarily wrong because we learn all sorts of new things uh, about it and so forth, because Jesus never talked about it. Jesus never talked about homosexuality. Not once, ever, 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 ever. That's the argument, okay? Now, I wasn't as nice with that one, because it's just, it's just snotty. Because he did. He did. He was in an argument with the Pharisees over, over divorce, you're like, that's not homosexuality. Well, it's adultery. So he was in an argument with the Pharisees over adultery uh, in, in the topic of divorce. And in saying to them that they didn't understand divorce, he said, the reason you don't understand divorce is because you don't understand that in the beginning, God made them male and female, and that the husband should leave his family and cleave to his wife. That would be not so much speaking against same-sex attraction as speaking about the designed reality of heterosexual attraction for the sake of family. And humanity and all that, right? So that idea, I mean, if you hated everything else I said, rewind that 30 seconds and just ponder that one for a bit. Moving on to number three, your friend uh, does not believe that sexual impurity, as mentioned in Romans and other places, means specifically homosexuality. Well, it doesn't have to, but it, it does in the Romans text. Uh, that in Romans where it says their women exchange unnatural relationships, men committed shameful acts with their men, it didn't mean what it means now. You know, I very much was describing that culture of the Romans that I was talking about before, where they're having this really lewd and extreme licentious reality. It's kind of like Hollywood, Vegas, you know, um, at only maybe even more hidden and yet more public at the same time. It was, it was truly uh, wicked, and in that then, um, well, I mean, uh, okay, if you go to the Greek and you read it like you're a six-year-old who knows how to read, like you're learning Greek as a six-year-old and you just read the words, this argument is again made by someone who doesn't believe words exist. And they're going to go so far out of the way to strip the words of their meaning that the words could not really mean anything by the time you have them. He, he, like, why do you write words? Why do you put stuff on the paper? The paper is very expensive. He wasted a lot of space. 
<laughs> you know, he could have said a few more valuable things at the end when he wanted to talk about false teachers and he didn't have time because he was out of scroll, right? He could have done that, but instead he just was wasting space saying nothing about men and women and how normal is normal and bad or something, and we don't really know, and it's too old, and it's different, and stuck in a culture you can't understand because there is no Holy Spirit and there is no truth. I'm sorry, but that's what it ends up with. And if your friend doesn't believe that, good. The people who teach you these things end up there. This theology ends up there. So forgive me again for being passionate about trying to convince you to listen. And again, I'm a talking head on TV, so whatever. You know, I make noise. But this may not have been the answer that was desired when written because, again, I don't know. At a certain point when it's public teaching and you remember these things. There you go. And, and you feel strongly about it, as I do, like that you're in the middle of a great cosmic war between light and darkness, truth and falsehood, a god king and a, and a demon prince who is trapped and bound on this earth and wants to destroy us all, wants to convince us that he doesn't exist so that he can destroy us all with himself because he knows his time is short. Like, I take that really seriously because I believe it's true because I believe the resurrection of Jesus shows it to be just what happened. Right? And so whether we like it or not, whether you believe it or not, it's what's happening. The judgment day is coming. Christ is going to return. He's going to reign. The amazing thing is he said that I don't care who you are as a human, you're mine, and I'm taking you with me. Unless on that day you have rejected this just outright. Like, nope, I won't. Wow. But the problem is that nope, I won't doesn't always come the first time you hear the message. It can come later when you decide that even though you have believed in Jesus, the Jesus who really exists is one you don't like. And so you're going to make up some other Jesus, call him Jesus, and follow him instead. And you know how you know if you've done that? It's pretty easy. (laughs) It's hard because it hurts, but it's easy because it's plain as purple crayon. Uh, The scriptures say what they say. Say what they say. So I, I don't know how you would ever get from the idea that a man and a woman should be joined together for the sake of the family. It seems pretty obvious in general if we want any more people. That it's wrong then to divide them at all costs at least. You should prevent the division of man and woman after that. If at all possible. Right? Now, granted, there's, there's all these extremes, but the, the exception proves the rule. So you want to at all costs prevent divorce. That's not what we're doing. We've been, we've been creating divorce here in America. Um, at all costs, you want to prevent divorce. You want to at all costs then prevent either of those individuals from uniting emotionally, spiritually, physically with another human in, in one body flesh. Because uh, that will also rip the entire thing asunder. Now, in that system, that, that built, created world, where is sex with animals? Where is it? On your scale of normal, right? Where is uh, sex with five wives? None of whom are allowed to show their faces to anyone, all of whom you're allowed to beat and kill. There's religions that teach that, by the way. One way or another. Not Christianity. We, we don't teach that at all. <laughs> uh, you see my point? Like, what I believe is that God made one dude, Adam. And out of that one dude, he made, like, dudette. Dudette part duo. Like, I'm not you complete me, right? Like, like that, right? If you even didn't get that, I mean, come on. <laughs> Gen X, we live. Um, he made that her, she, the crown of him out, out of him so that they are one. And then together, because the attraction is pretty strong, right? Together, oh, look, there's one. And it's just, he, she's just like us. Oh, my. And oh, you know, <laughs> this, this is family. And it occurs primarily 
historically, with the man pursuing the woman, because the man is more natively the protector, the aggressor. It's, it's what he's built to do. A woman can do these things, but a woman's built to care and nurture. Now, we live in a civilization that's trying to say everyone can do all these things all the time, and what we have is a lot of gender confusion. Is that what they call it? They do call it that. So you wonder why, right? What I believe then is that, again, Adam being made one and woman being made with him is a, a, an image that we reflect or we imitate and we can't help it. You can always try to rule, rule your husband. He will rule you through quiet tyranny, even if it ruins the rest of your life around you and makes things bitter and unhappy. Uh, and he, uh, he will learn it's better to live on the corner of a wolf roof uh, than with a quarrelsome wife. That means he'll just stop talking to you at a certain point. Um, now, and you'll complain about that a little more, and that won't bring him back because he doesn't want to listen to anymore. But uh, unfortunately, what he'll stop doing is leading, and that's what he'd be really good at. Y- if you can learn to see him as the leader you're given as opposed to the leader that you want, you would find him being the active man you want, which brings us, I suppose, to one of our next questions. That's, that really is what we should do here. So let's see if I can <laughs> make, make this one work, even though I had the, uh, the issues earlier. Hold on. Can I move this? No, don't, don't lose that. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't do that either. Come on. Come on. Oh, I'll do it like this. Making booms everywhere. There we go. I want to go to this one. Refisk. What do you do when there are not enough godly men in the congregation to fill all the leadership roles? Good question. I'm going to give you an answer without reading anything else. I'm going to read it one more time. The question. What do you do when there are not enough godly men in the congregation to fill all the leadership roles? Acknowledge you have created too many leadership roles that are unnecessary and God does not care about. Otherwise, he would have given you men to fill them. Or acknowledge that you should close the congregation and join another one to make it stronger. Straight up. Now, those are hard. <laughs> those are hard, even though they're like, they cut like butter, like knife through butter, right? Boom. Oh, it's, it's just solved. However, our emotions don't always go so easily. Unfortunately, right? And so the, the, the reason that is so logically clear, like Spock would say what I just said, right? Sorry, I got pointy ears. Spock hurts people's feelings all the time. If you don't know, don't know. He always hurts people's feelings because he, he, he has no emotions. I have some, a few. But the thing is, like, if you want to solve your problem, a lot of times you have to kill your emotions. Like you have to mortify your flesh. You have to put down within you what you want because what you want is against what is true. And again, you, you use scripture as your basis, but why would I say, what do you do when there are not enough godly men in the congregation to fill out the leadership roles? Well, you can decide that men should not be the leaders and put women in those roles. Or you can realize that you have imagined a system that is not who you are. You are building a mythology, a dream of strength and success built upon, I don't know what, but a story that's not scripture. And so rather than going back to scripture and saying, how do we, 15 people, manage our, I don't know how big your congregation is, but I've seen this, like 15, 30 people. How do we manage ourselves? And they're still trying to do like some constitution with 15 committees. <laughs> you, have, you have three families, three families in a congregation who all care about each other. Why have anything other than a general meeting where you have information and talk, and then you can have a voters meeting and vote on whatever actually had to get voted on, but most of it really doesn't. Like once a year, pass a budget and don't sell anything. You won't have to vote again. It's really, it's that easy, right? Just make decisions together, but we can't. Why? Because we think we have to have this other mythology of what should be. And in that reason, we use it as our excuse and ladies particularly will then use it as their excuse to get, to give their husbands every reason to not get involved by taking over. 
And if you don't like that, then you're probably not a man or you're a man who knows that that is so true. It hits too close to the mark and you like your position or you get to take advantage and have someone else deal with your curse for you. So, so I get that. I get that too. Um, it's very simple. It's very simple to want what the world sells. <laughs> it, it doesn't take much effort at all. But to get back to again, you know, do you believe that the men are there to be the leaders or not? That's, that's really the question. So your military family, God bless you. Been part of the LCMS English and Mid-South districts, which makes sense as a military family, especially uh, uh, in uh, English, especially because it's strange that the English district does kind of mimic uh, military locations. Uh, I didn't even realize it till just now. That's interesting. Uh, and this is an LCMS inside baseball. You don't care, really. If you don't know, you don't care. Uh, we now find ourselves in the Pacific Southwest District. Ooh, yeah. Also, uh, you know, a military district, though, right? Uh, and our concern with what we see here. <laughs> Really? <laughs> that's, my, that's my home district. I, I came. I came from. I came from homes, uh, both locally and at the district level. Yeah, I imagine so. Uh, our church has way too many boards, not enough people to fill them. Mm-hmm. Our interim pastor, who is a confessional Lutheran, agrees that this congregation functions too much like a bureaucracy, but says eliminating boards and positions would cause another mass exodus. It, it really could. And this, it shows you where the gods are in a place at a time. And when I said again, like maybe you should always realize you don't even care about being church anymore. You just care about some other thing that you're voting to do, <laughs> right? And that's why you're upset. Because uh, if it was about church, you'd be less upset and more convicted, concerned, unified, conjoined. Scripture would be your source and we would just feel great, uh, even if you were suffering together. And, and and it doesn't feel like that, does it? So there, there's another power at work, another worship going on amidst good, faithful Christians. I mean, our flesh is easily entangled in this stuff. Uh, you know, Paul doesn't say to Timothy, do not become, in, uh, become entangled in civilian affairs for no reason. Uh, it is very easy to have mission creep, to have, uh, here's what we're here to do, but this other thing's a good idea, let's do that too. And you have so many other good ideas, you forget about what you're actually there to do. And eventually, those other good ideas don't keep you together, right? Because uh, they weren't what bound you in the first place. So, um, so the argument that it's not worth it to make that change functionally, well, yes, I mean, what has to happen is there has to be a public acknowledgement of the, by the group that the current structure is unfulfilled and in breach and that that's effectively illegal and you're either okay with that or not, right? And when I say effectively illegal, I mean that if you did something really, really stupid and got yourself into some situation where you were being sued in a way that could possibly really take your building from you, which as an LCMS congregation is very difficult to have that happen at this point, even at this point in time. I mean, unless you did that, you're really not in any trouble whatsoever. Uh, You probably want to be able to say, look, we acknowledge that we're in breach of the Constitution and we hope to fix it. But in order to fix it, we have to make changes now that cannot wait for a new Constitution or a conversation about it. We have to deal with what's on the ground. We got to do what's in front of us and then try our best to fulfill as much of the the spirit of this law as possible. That's that's my advice. I'm in a place that's been doing that. They were doing that long before I got here. <laughs> I just said, okay, well, don't, don't stop doing that. Do that on purpose, right? Most places are not following their constitution on accident. Nah, I'm saying, well, just, if you own it and then plan to fix it, but don't realize you're not going to ever fix it in a moment. So why rush it? Why do it as soon as possible? Why do you believe to justify yourself? Instead, say it's unjustified. The Lord will fix it in his time. What needs to be done today for us, for our family, for our community, hearth, altar, all that, yeah? And then the day when that becomes, let's get this thing cleaned up here so we can actually say, look, here's how we're doing it. Well, that, that day will come. That day will come. 
So I, I can empathize with your pastor's position on this, even though I fully concur with your observation moving into a foreign land, being like, what on earth? <laughs> yeah. Uh, with elections coming up, my husband and I are considering who to nominate. Yeah. Well, problem is that there aren't enough godly men in the church to fill positions or men that want to or men that believe they can. Because when you put them into these other positions, right, uh, to try to f- see this is I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't nominate positions. I wouldn't tell you to put people into that system. Uh, don't save the system. Uh, talk about what to do that's better than the system. Oh, I don't know. Like start a men's group, <laughs> like the Sons of Solomon. We'll talk about that more in a little bit. Um, but you know, because uh, again, even a good man, you make a really good man the uh, the new chairman of the board of evangelism, which has sat empty for 15 years, right? But requires five guys and has a bullet point list, 35 points long in the bylaws of what he's supposed to do as a group of 30 people. Okay, <laughs> and, and what's he going to do? He's going to come to the council meeting with a couple of good ideas and people who are afraid of risk and losing money and change and think that status quo is better than fixing it because it seems safer than risking it getting worse, which even a better thing seems like it might be worse until it's happened. And there he will have every one of his good ideas criticized and nitpicked to death until after his term is up. When they ask him to do it again, he's going to be like, I got to get out of this as fast as I can. Why would I ever volunteer to church again? So why would you go and kill your volunteers like that? That's a terrible idea. That's an absolutely terrible idea. Do not put them into the system. Go to the voters' meeting and voice your concerns, right? Uh, point of information. I think there are too many boards and committees. Uh, me and my friends would like permission to start a men's group just focused on encouraging men to read the Psalter together and meeting once a month. And we'd like the pastor to be there to make sure we don't go off the deep end. And we don't want to constitute. We just want to have guys get together and be guys. Can we do that? Is that okay? We've got your permission? And then go from there. Get... Whatever godly men you can find together, just get them together <laughs> as, as often as you can. Once a month would be a good time to start, right? Once a month, get the godly men in the congregation together and get them to talk about godly things. And you'll find all the rest of this stuff that you're trying to do outside with all these mythologies about how Robert's Rules is going to save us, whatever, from Walther's you know, problems or whatever. I don't know. I mean, it's just, just the argument's so tired and we've had no solutions but only devolving discussions into chaos and loss the issue is to strip away this facade that we've created for ourselves and remember, precisely we got, I got so upset about the other question, that the world is built upon the Father. Like, oh, how can you say that? Because God's the Father. And his son, Jesus Christ, is also male. And everything the Bible says about the Holy Spirit is also male. Beside them, as triune God, we are bride-like, feminine even, even me. And yet, beside me, there are things in this world that are uh, quite a bit more feminine. And, and specifically, that distinction of masculine and feminine, aside from being like godlike versus creature-like, is also built into creation by God as man-like, female-like, on purpose as a really awesome thing where the unity of it becomes a total whole that bends both away from themselves toward each other and out toward the world for good. Hmm. Build on that. Got a couple guys that want to be fathers? Let's get together and read the Psalms and Proverbs. <laughs> What do you, what's going to go wrong? <laughs> so that's, that's my answer there. You know, uh, other positions end up being filled with those questionable doctrine. Expect that. Expect that. Uh, voice your concerns about doctrine. Uh, use the constitution to your advantage. Point out your constitution says that it'll be like article four, maybe three, 
five, um, somewhere in there. Uh, bylaws, you're not supposed to use resources that are not dogmatically sound. That'll make you sound like a jerk, but be that guy. Yeah, right. So like we should believe in truth, right? So how do we know what we're using is good? And do we have an agreed upon thing that we use to decide whether something's biblical or not? Because if it's not the confessions, I'd like to know what that is. Is it the creed? What are we using? What's our standard? Where are we going? Oh, it's the Bible. No, 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 no. Please tell me what you use to understand whether or not you're reading the Bible like a pagan, because they do that, or, or like a Christian. Now, again, my mannerism here, it, if I was in the media, I'd probably be adrenalized like I am now, but I'd be working really hard to breathe through and not, not let the aggression come out, right? I'm trying to speak with, with civil wisdom. But uh, I would say bring those questions out as points of information, uh, points of which is like asking for clarity um, uh, in response to things, uh, as opposed to trying to fill a a panel like loading the Supreme Court with the right kind of justices. Right now, I'm not saying don't do that in the civil realm. I'm saying that amongst us, it probably should look just a touch different. Even if we're still voting, it shouldn't look like what it looks like when the pagans do it. It should look a lot more godly. So, so that's my thing. It's like, just you know, participate, but participate as a voice that says the system is wrong. The system is flawed now. So I'm not going to be in the system. Neither am I going to tear it down. I want to support the real system. This system was built on, which is again, the family unit, father, right? Uh, the fa- and if you don't like the father as the source of the family unit, then I'm not sure you believe in God. First uh, Corinthians 11, one to three. Really look it up. Um, in the long term, I'd say the answer is to catechize our congregation. Yes, so they are fit for serving. But what should we do in the short term? Um, catechize the congregation and let a lot of the other stuff fall by the wayside. Uh, God is for you, not against you. The small battles are ones for him to fight if they're not in your vocation to fight. And trust him. Trust him to work within your vocation. Are you talking to your kids every night about the Psalms and the Proverbs? Are you reading to them out of Jesus' words through the Gospels? Do you understand how to answer their questions, right? Are you studying and imbibing the Word of God yourself throughout the week? Do you have a devotional inner life? All of those questions are far more important than what you can do to get the organization going. The organization will go when the families are raised up by the Word of God. So be the father who raises up the family, mother, Laura, who raises up the family in the Word of God, and trust in the power of that structure. If you're a family without a father— Find one, right? Find, find a family you trust. Find a man who you can associate with, not to tell you what to do, but to bounce ideas off of and have some sort of guidance. There are men at church who should be godly enough to do that. Your pastor being one of them, right? Um, and, and so no matter how you spin it, we got to turn this thing around in our language as Christians. And it, becomes by, it begins by saying, I believe in God the Father. I believe in God the Father and acting like that rather than acting like our little democracy is actually what Christianity is about. <laughs> in the long term, I'd say the answer is, yeah, you said, okay, I read that part. Uh, can a woman hold a position of president in the congregation? I, it depends on if you vote her in, I suppose. It's happened before. Is it what the Bible says you should do? Well, it really doesn't display there's any men of value, does it now? I mean, it's strange that the men would not stand up and say, I'll do it. You know, no, no, honey, I got it. No worries. You don't need to take that on right now. You got plenty. You got plenty going on. Why you got to do that too? And I miss, that's the way my world is. <laughs> you know, uh, so... The man should stand up and take the bullet. The man should stand up and do that hard kind of grunt work. Uh, there's a nice little book. Do I have it up here? No, The Office of Women in the Church. It's hard to find. It's out of print. CPH could print it again. They're moving toward print on demand eventually, I hope. Um, the Office of Women in the Church by Zerps, written in the 50s. The guys wanted to be a liberal. They really wanted to come away from the Bible and say that a woman can be a pastor. But unfortunately, they still had enough respect for Scripture that they like had to complain at the end about how, unfortunately, women can't really preach or be pastors and receive the blessing of God in doing so. Uh, obviously, anyone can stand up and talk. 
And one can even stand up and talk orthodoxly uh, uh, in theory. Um, but this was kind of how they ended the book, was that the, the, the challenge would be for the truly orthodox female pastor, and this would then apply to this position, is that her only agenda when she preached or when she led the meetings would be to point out how the men are worthless. She would have to prophesy that again and again. You are worthless, and the proof is I'm still talking. That's what a godly woman would do. She would shame the men back out of their cynical fear of getting yelled at by women and actually getting up and doing something. Hey, hey, stop it. <laughs> hey, stop. It's mean. Me, stop. I'll stand up in front of everybody. What are you, Barack? And if you don't know what I mean, well, then don't tell me that you've studied this. <laughs> if you don't know what I mean when I say Barack. So um, uh, one is running, but I didn't think a woman could hold that role. According to our CTCR which is a organizational attempt to answer theological questions without getting the organization in trouble, which means, you know, it's hit or miss sometimes. You're really not supposed to have a, a chairman, I think a vice chairman or anyone on the board of elders uh, uh, fulfilled by the, uh, a lady. That's like our official kind of half dogmatic position, but it's really limp-wristed. Um, honestly, like, Let's, let's talk about it differently. Let's, let's shift this to treasurer. I mean, chairman's tougher because in theory we believe that position is one of authority, and it is if one knows how to use it. But it can also be just kind of bungled through and not really do anything either. So, uh, And you don't even need it in a sense the way most congregations operate because the voters' assembly is, is kind of a shell for what they're already doing in conversation anyway. right? But we're all trying to present this facade that we're, we're making the decision by democracy rather than by conversation. Sorry, that's my that's my uh, what sociopolitical uh, concept of organizational structural science or wow, whatever, I just made stuff up. Um, but you know, so in this, you know, can a woman step into the breach to stop something from falling? I, I think so. I mean, Deborah does. Just don't ever think that's great, right? Like you step in the breach to say, "Hey, I'm in the breach, guys." Like that's your job, you punks. I'm supposed to be like planting things and like crafting with awesome stuff and please don't that not insulting if you think that's insult an artesian an artesian of the home to bring about life and health and everything around me i want to make blossoms blossom in all manner this woman life grow in some way uh, um it's tough to do that as chairman of a voters assembly I tell you, yeah there's not a lot of life growing there so you know could a woman do it you know, physically, scientifically, you know, can a woman run a company and have the company do well? Yeah, yeah. Um, but what are you saying about your belief in who you are with what you're doing, right? So, I mean, the uh, Amy, Amy something, something, ABC, ACB, uh, Supreme Court stuff, did he nominate her finally yesterday? I think he did. Um, you know, can a woman be a Supreme Court justice and a Christian? I, I'm pretty sure she's a Christian. And she's, you know, assuming that something really radical doesn't happen, she's going to be a Supreme Court justice for a while, <laughs> see how that goes uh, so yeah obviously she can be a christian and do that in every time in every place is that the best decision for a woman to go to law school well no of course every time every place how could that be true can you do it and have a family well she did right if i'm getting the one, the one lady right there's the cuban lady too you know she did so why would i say you can't am i going to tell you when you're 18 try now mm, probably not why? Because it's, it's a long shot right now. It's getting worse. It's getting worse, not easier. Uh, money is getting scarcer, and it's going to keep getting scarcer. So and you might need to have both people working, but not because you're going to follow your dreams. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if you can avoid that and set up a plan so you can follow 
at least one of your dreams, that is you who, who does not go away to make money can focus the life that you have on, on growing awesome stuff that you love while your husband goes out there and works at day shop, you know, and you could do that now. We have that power that, you know, that you didn't have 150 years ago when you were just stuck at home by yourself with the infant in an apartment in New York, you know, in the dust and the dirty. And I mean, yeah, it's a different world now. Oh my goodness. Stay at home moms have, if they want it, a paradise of creation and, and empowerment. It's amazing. Um, you can, I mean, you can, you can be a professional and a stay at home mom, as long as you don't have a profession in which you have to go away, right? And and, and that 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 exists to me is is such a cool thing. And and so running that back into this, like it's not like women can't do things. Obviously, you're like just as talented as guys on a lot of levels. It really depends more on a spectrum. Like generally, guys jump higher, but women when they jump high can sometimes do cool things. Although dunking doesn't quite look the same, I'll say. But 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 point is, like we have equivalencies to each other. We're, we're one. We're made. We're, we're a race. We're, we're a being as a whole. We're an organic human structure running through time and space, fourth dimensionally created by God. Is amazing, huh? But we are distinct, and those distinctions are real. And some of them are as obvious as what you see when, well, when one of them comes out of the one because it couldn't come out of the other, and it came out with one. The other, th- the other one had that thing, and it no, it, no more coming out of that one, right? Like, like. <laughs> And that we live at a time when we, we like are afraid of the implications of this. Just um, it's sad. It's sad. So to your end, then again, I'm just going to say the same thing I said before. A woman can fill these roles, but why and to what end? Are you trying to get men back? Because generally when men see women fulfilling a role that they should be fulfilling, it tells them not to try. Whether that's godly or not, I don't know. So godly men, stand up. Don't let that happen. Go try. Go take on. I, I don't have time. I don't want to do it. It won't let me do the things I want. Yeah, you're right. Sacrifice. That's called Christianity. <laughs> you know, get in the game. The real, the real game. All right. It's so kind of connected to this. Kind of connected to this. And I don't, I don't like this question, but I did say something. So I owe you guys half an explanation. There's two questions that go in this direction today. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I must have said something really... <clears throat> inflammatory on um, <coughs> sorry sorry about that as a supporter of the lutheran hour i would like to know more about why you think this the lutheran hour is a waste of money i'm going to say that that question needs like good 30 to 45 minutes and i don't even want to Unless I'm going to sit down with like four to five people from that organization and get a hearing. I would love to show them, explain to them what's happened, what's happening organizationally. What they don't see that is the shift outside of them in culture. They see it. They know it's changed. They don't know. They keep trying things to fix it and it's not working. And So you, you go look at their numbers. Go look at what they're taking in, what they're spending every year. How much? It's a lot of money. And then what's happening? Now, there are, are there good things that are happening? Absolutely. Are there, are there amazing things that happen through individuals who work for the Lutheran Hour? Absolutely. What I said and what I continue to talk about is not individuals and persons. So, again, don't play the liberal card of making this about some individual when the issue is the organization and its first principles or lack thereof. It's losing of its first principles, which were originally there with its founder in a bunch of nonsense about really protecting itself from having to have any skin in the game. 
being unwilling to take risks has led them to the greatest risk of all, which is uh, being unable to believe you won't take risks. Uh, <laughs> and that's what's killing you. So uh, there, but I could, I, could, I could do better for them. But instead, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a story. My life's full of pain. Not all that pain is rightly assessed. I may be biased in this story. I probably am. But I spent some time in Philadelphia. It's still to this point. It's the longest I've ever been at any one call. Although I'll break that one here, I think, once I die. Lord willing. While we were there, there were two congregations that were on the verge of closing. Now, when congregations close in the LCMS, what usually happens is there's kind of a sad little event where maybe you get a large number, but usually you only get a small number, 50 people maybe show up, and the place closes down. What happens to the property? The property usually goes to the district. Uh, the LCMS has these things called districts. They're organizational hubs that are there to make pastors move around and put out fires. You know, best construction again. Uh, there's maybe some pork there as well. Um, but, you know, for what that's worth... Uh, Normally, congregations would close and the money would go to the district, and then the district would spend it on desk jobs for a couple of years that don't result in more churches, for sure. Because we, we clearly don't have more churches, even though we're like, plant new churches! Well, and it doesn't really make actual thriving churches. Uh, so, something else is going on. Well, one of the guys that was out there uh, with me at this organization that we were at together at the time that was kind of uh, working with us and our congregations, a mission organization, he convinced these two congregations at least initially, uh, to give the money, all of it, for the sale of both buildings on the East Coast to this organization so they could call a missionary and send that missionary into the city for a good long time without having to look over their shoulders. Now, one of those congregations was not worth as much as the other, and so that money came to the organization. And then the other congregation that had a a building worth, I believe, was over $1.1 million and had agreed verbally to do this so that we could make this happen. We actually got the missionary there. The history is an interesting one. Everyone was afraid of money because we had less money because we didn't get $1.1 million. Because after it was done, after the fact, the chairman, who was basically one of the last three people of the organization and made the decision by himself, right before he said how, uh, this wasn't my church anyway, so I'm going to go to my Methodist church now because this was my wife's church. Right before that, he said, but, you know, the Lutheran hour, I'm going to give them 800000 and you guys get two hundred fifty. I don't know. The Lutheran Hour did convert Pastor Professor Adam Kuntz to Christianity, which is interesting. On the East Coast, which is interesting. I'm going to tell you what. The money for that missionary is gone. Lutheran Hour is still here. Taking money from closing churches. How long till that money runs out? That's So, you want to keep supporting something that's basically uh, cannibalizing dying churches to survive, and saying, it's mission, we swear, it's mission. And yet, and yet, what are they there for? So let me, let me shift gears here again. I'm going to another question, but I'm going to give you a different answer. Wondering about Lutheran Ministries. I watch SMC from time to time and check in with fellow Lutheran pastor, I'm also C, and this past week you, you said about how LSM seems to have strayed from this beginning. Absolutely. Uh, not being very familiar with this history, I'm t- taking you up on your offer to con- t- contact you about it. Uh, what's your take on the path? Okay, so... Certainly, at the beginning of LHM, there was the idea that radio was a, a new media that needed to be embraced as fast as possible and with all vigor. 
and that uh, if you found a charismatic personality to do it, uh, they did. He just did it. Um, they, he built it around him, but he also realized very quickly, Oswald Hoffman, um, excuse me, uh, no, 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 sorry, he's, he's the next one. He was good too, though. Um, uh, Walter A. Meyer, the first. He also realized very quickly that, you know, just him on the radio wasn't really any good if you couldn't connect people to the church, because you're supposed to bring Christ to the nations and the nations of the church. That, that was the original thing. They still say it all the time. They just don't do it. Because parallel with their existence as a radio show was a men's organization that would have a men's group in every single congregation in the LCMS so that those men who listened to that show with fervor and, and vigor every weekend would draw other men in their lives into the church through these organizations, these men's groups. So I'm not even going to talk about what happened. I'm just going to say, look, we're starting a men's group, me and a bunch of other Lutherans, for men to get together to help be men of God in their congregations. Why would I do that if LHM had not strayed from its mission? I don't want that. I'd rather not have to do that. It's a lot of work. I'm convinced, though, if we don't have that, we're dead in the water because we don't believe in the fourth commandment. Right? We have to have men be men. So here's an organization that is from its purpose, from its very founding, is a men's group. A men's organization. And we, children of the LCMS, have to start a men's group so that we can be Luther's together? I mean, I got a lot of dots that got me to that, okay? And I'm not going to be able to give them to, all to you. And I don't want to, because it's just going to be used against me at some point by somebody who will take something out of context and accuse me of not understanding. When I have watched this for a long time. I've watched this organization. I care about this organization. I want it to do well. I would love to have a conversation with those who have actual power to make changes there, because there are very few, I imagine, and most people are kind of trapped under those very few, and those very few probably think they're changing stuff but haven't changed anything, and that's the problem. I got another story I could tell you, but I'm not going to tell it to you. It's out of school. It's insulting to them, what they said and did to me. They don't even know it. But it told me a lot about how they think and what era they think they're in. And that's, that's kind of the thing. So any media company that doesn't realize that we're not in pre-internet times in terms of financial money you can make with this stuff, because it's easy to copy now, uh, which is just, you're just limited. You're going to keep trying to maintain these, these facilities that nobody can maintain that if you don't have to actually produce stuff. You have to have physical things, physical giant objects coming out of those buildings. Or you got to work in New York and steal from everybody. <laughs> uh, you should watch that documentary, uh, Inside Job. Um, so, right, uh, Sons of Solomon is a different thing Altogether. Can I find it? Do I have it? Here it is. That doesn't say Sons of Solomon. What on earth is going on? Well, if you've been watching my Twitter or my Instagram or my Facebook, you probably have at least seen this number. Now minus the uh, the dots, because the, the dots don't work, unfortunately, with a hashtag. But hashtag 113487 is about, well, sort of the Brotherhood of the Penbergen, sort of a activation of Christian Fourth Commandment scriptural principles as Spartacus reality. It is the Sons of Solomon. 
which I don't have a card for you to look at, but now I can think about it and talk about it to you. What's going on with Sons of Solomon? I've had a couple of key meetings in the last month with what we're going to call the core members of the round table. This is just individuals who are on the ultimate inside to become the hub of the organization. Now, the goal of building a social or a media network, medium network for men's organization to interact with each other, support each other, is that uh, you would never really need to have total authority in order to be part of that network. It is a dispersed authority model. And at the heart of this is the belief in roundtables, the belief that at a roundtable, ideas win, not personalities, but you definitely need a personality that leads the discussion at that roundtable. Now, talk about that more with some of the information you'll get and structure you'll get as we work with you if you want to start a men's group where you are, because we're going to ask you, you get some men together, and then you're going to found... You're going to found a round table, as if you are Arthur, but you're not. I am Arthur. I am Spartacus. And if you haven't seen that one, well, maybe you should watch that one. So we're, we're on the move with this one. So here's, here's how it goes. Within a couple of weeks, those of you who have contacted us already and we have your email addresses are going to be getting emails, including emails requesting you to start sharing with us your experiences and what you don't have as you try to start a men's group by yourself. <laughs> so the first thing you need to do right now is decide how you're going to start a men's group by yourself if you're by yourself. Or if there's three of you, well, you already know how to start. You need to get together and decide which of one of you, which of you is going to be the pen dragon, which of you is going to be the voice when you gather, right? And again, how does that work out? I mean, there's a lot more you have to work on because it's not just I say what goes, right? But you need someone at that round table who says, what about this? And then you talk, you find consensus, and you go on. Now, there's more tools that we're going to give you eventually on that. You're still in development. <laughs> but it's, it's crucial conversations if you want the book. You can go buy it. Uh, it's not mine. Uh, but we're going to give it to you for free eventually to help you have this round table, table of men be able to come together, have a conversation, make a decision, and act on, on that decision as a group without necessarily needing to organize unless you're going to buy property together. At that point, you've got to organize. So, but the idea is to avoid having to spend money together, to avoid having to turn yourself into an institution, to remain a movement of men who simply want to be good Christian men. So if, if you have been thinking about being part of the Sons of Solomon, you want to sign up for the Sons of Solomon, the first thing to do now is talk to your pastor. I would like to start a men's group. It's called the Sons of Solomon. It's got uh, backing from people like Pastor Fisk and Pastor Wolfmuller. Uh, and uh, it, you know, we'll, I'll bring you all the materials that I see. But, but the first thing I'm supposed to do is just try to get men together. And we're supposed to all read certain Psalms every day. There's a selection of about eight of them, nine of them. I'll give them to you in a moment. Uh, we're supposed to read those every day. We're supposed to carry a Bible with us and a prayer book with us everywhere we go. We're supposed to have a crucifix that we carry with us everywhere we go. And if, if you do that, you are a son of Solomon. Right there. There, you're in. And you know that 113487 means something, but you don't know what. <laughs> it just means that we're trying to start a secret organization that's not secret. We're building our structure not unlike ancient clubs of, of evil, like the Masonic Lodge or whatever, but we're not the Masonic Lodge. We're going to tell you everything up front. What do we have right now? We've got three guys who have agreed to be the catch information stuff with a lady to help us and three other guys to respond to your questions as you try to pioneer a men's group based on the idea that just getting men together to read the Psalms and the Proverbs in your congregation can't go wrong. Wrong, right now, what am I going to do here? Let me give you my idea. Here, I have a congregation filled with men who are firearm aficionados. They, they love them, their military weaponry, right? Uh, on all levels, like like old stuff, new stuff. So, what are we going to do? I've tried like axe throwing together, and we're going to go out to a restaurant together. Just, you know, forget all that. Forget all that. I know what happens. What we're going to do is we're going to shoot guns once a month. We're going to do it. <laughs> and, and when we do it, we're going to go somewhere. We're going to try to create a space where people can shoot and people can talk. We're definitely going to lead from shooting into talking. And when we talk, we're going to be talking about praying the Psalms every day, 
knowing a little bit about the Proverbs. And then I will locally, as pastor, come in and, and push us probably through more of uh, talk them into it, right? So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do it slow. We're not going to worry about it. Those people who show up are those who are interested. And those who come, again, we're going to say, we're men. We're going to be men. We're going to be biblical men. And we believe the future of Christianity and our congregation will benefit from this. Go. That's it. That's all you need right now. Then when you have a question that's a specific question, not where do I sign up, uh, uh, but a specific question, write it down and hold on to it because in about two weeks, we should have the Mad Christian Discord set up so that we can put you in there with your own little Sons of Solomon group. So that's coming. So what's this Mad Christian Discord? Let's go to this one for now. Didn't work. Try it again. Didn't work. Try it again. No! What's going on? Help. Help Joe Rogan. Save me. There we go. All right. So... The Mad Christian Discord, your network for conviction. If you don't know what Discord is, it is a app, a program you run on your computer or your phone or both, which allows you to sort of Facebook chat, sort of old AOL chat room chat, sort of drag and drop MySpace-ish kind of thingy. Uh, and with uh, my purchasing of a certain you know, level of it, I have the ability to create lots and lots of little tiny rooms for your unique interests as you talk about Mad Christianity and support each other. So we've got a couple that are already there for the initial load of you who want to jo- jump in. Um, what we got to set up now is the invitation system and whatnot. But so if you've, you've sent a request recently, again, give us another week and we'll get you in there. Initially, there will not be as many places to be because it's going to be up to you as a community to decide what you need there, what you want there. And that means that as you show your, your conviction, as you show your commitment, as we get to know you and you say, I'd like to have a group that talks about this. Can I have this group and manage it? We need you to be part of the team. It's a network. We're building a network. Um, and so that's what this is. Uh, stay tuned. It's coming. Uh, you don't need Facebook. You need the Mad Christian Discord. Yeah. And uh, that, I think, kind of dovetails out of those questions. Again, do I want the LHM or the um, LCMS.org or do uh, or CPH or uh, what is it? Uh, Concordia Health Plans. Any of these organizations, our seminaries, our, our institutional schools, do I relish believing that most of them are going to be gone in 20 years? No, I don't relish that even a little bit. I just think it's what the facts show, and I think that's based upon first article stuff that even pagans could tell you if you let them consult you. Uh, they'd be like, whoa. Like, like the Christian consultants come in and they're like, well, pray, pray to God and here's our boilerplate, right? <laughs> I think that the pagan consultation, consultation was, it might even tell you you're done. Especially a lot of the congregations. Oh, goodness gracious. They wouldn't even come in. I'm not going to take your money. <laughs> I can't, I'll tell you right now. Why are you having me? Yeah, I, can't, I can't fix this. Well, why? Well, because there's, there's 25 of you trying to keep a club open. And you don't even like it here. <laughs> you know? So, 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 so. More questions from you. Let's do that uh, rather than me cackling like the mad Christian madman that I am. I just feel bad saying, you know, I don't like LHM, but like, I'm waiting for them to become the organization I want to follow, and they won't. So I'm going to create one, not intentionally to go at them. They just won't do it. Like, where's your men's group? Let me give you another. Oh, for pity's sakes. Sorry. No. So I don't even know if it's still on YouTube. There are YouTube videos that were made at the, at the, the peak, the absolute peak of YouTube letting you make videos and helping you. That's over. The time is gone. you got to pay for it now. But at the peak of this, right? um, they made a, a series of videos called, I think it was called the Baloney Factory. Go look at the dates on that and look at what's being done in video by anybody, anywhere. I've been given no reason to believe the professionalism has improved. 
So go look at it. I'm serious. If you're not going to go look at it, then don't get mad at me. You know, here is, yeah. uh, what's up with, oh, not that one. What, no, guy. oh, we did that one too. Oh, Simon, this is fun. This will change the conversation. Hey, Pastor Fisk. Hello. I'm new to Lutheran theology, and I was wondering if you could talk about, explain the account of Simon the Magician, Simon Magus, Simon Magi, Magician is not fair, Simon Sorcerer, uh, in Acts chapter 8. It seems to go against everything I've learned these past few months. Um, interesting. It'd help if you knew, if you told me what you learned it went against, but let's see here. Simon believes and is baptized. And then Peter says some not so great things about him after that, like, you have no part or share in this matter because your heart is not right before God. Pray the Lord that if possible, your heart's intent may be forgiven. Is Peter just talking about the gift of miracle working and not the gift of salvation? Why does Peter say if possible, as if God is reluctant to forgive? If God does the baptizing, is there a situation, heart, posture, motivation on our part that would deem a baptism ineffective, not true, not real? Uh, Last question, no. Uh, There is nothing that would make the baptism not effective. You can display you don't actually believe what the baptism gave you and you're after something else entirely, which is what Simon Magos did at a certain point, although I'm not going to say he didn't believe at the time of baptism. The thing was is that after this, he offered money for miracles. Straight up, I'll pay you. You give me powers. Was this his plan all along, or was this an inkling and a temptation he put down up to that point? I don't know. God will judge it on the last day. Your question then is, if possible, and we really want to get to that right away. So if possible, God can forgive. How could it be if possible? Well, if you don't believe it, then it's not there, right? So it, it isn't an if in terms of whether God can at this point. It's an if as to whether or not Simon will repent. If it is possible for you, Simon, right now, as you to repent, and only you know that one because it's up to your hardness of heart that you do to yourself. Uh, if that's possible, it, well then, right? You pray to God that you would have that repentance. But look, what you've just done demonstrates you've already cast away the spirit entirely. The fact that you would you would think God wants that, that, that money, as if as if that isn't his already. As if he couldn't rip it from you at any moment. You think he's going to exchange that in, in, in price? You do not know? The full price has been paid. All things are yes in Jesus. Why don't you just come and ask? What do you want it for? Maybe there's someone who needs something. Hey, um, can I have the gift of healing so I can heal this person and go out there and heal people and turn people into people who believe in Jesus? That's not what he did. That's not what he did. You know, uh, He turned it for his own benefit and only his own benefit. Hmm. So is Peter just talking about the gift of miracle working and not the gift of salvation? Both. Why? I mean, it's not that like one thing and you're out. It's that I'm getting to this one point because I already don't believe. And like, but how do I know it's not me? Look, you poor, you poor ungospeled soul. You poor uncertified breath. You know it's not you because you're baptized. But he was baptized. Yes, but he was trying to buy things for money from God. And you're not. You're worried about your sin not being forgiven. And that's a different thing entirely. He had no care for his sin being forgiven. All he wanted was to use his magic powers to make his daughter turn off her lawnmower right outside your window right now while you're doing a live show. Oh, I love that my daughter's doing the lawn. Here it comes. <laughs> oh, can you hear it? I know you can hear it. Um, the window's like wide open. We've got, what are we at? We're at, I want to give you at least another half an hour. So we're going to do a three-minute break. We're going to come right back. And I mean, I think I got this one right. So, uh, the, the point of Simon Magus here is that he stopped believing. Right, whatever he was believing that brought him in, he stopped believing. We have a question about the high-handed sin coming up in a bit, which will connect to the same thing. If I can come back without killing myself, see in a moment. Oh, oh, I need that mouse. Ouch, knees. I know you think this is funny, right? You're like, this is good TV. I'm like, no, this is terrible TV. Hold on, locate file. How did I do this? Why did I do this? I am 
what you call the definition of confusion. Uh oh. <laughs> that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, and that's wrong, and we'll do it this way. And there there you go. It's it's almost like I know what I'm doing. What on earth? I'm so thankful to have my other computer back. I really pray that it will function as a distributor because this other one here is is more powerful. So we might find out next week <laughs> that the, the old one's not strong enough for, for what we're doing here. I think it will be fine. Uh, we have a, a number of questions still from you guys to hit, hit this morning. At least half an hour left here and, and some and, and, and. Some super chats. Uh, Darth Mick says this. Need to mount the camera. Yeah, thank you, and I appreciate it. What I need to do is find a way to mount the camera. And I have the one thing I bought, but ceilings and rooms and moving into houses and other things are kind of in the way. So I'm contemplating just duct taping the thing right there for a while, which I might try next week. Thank you, uh, Darth Mick. I appreciate it, and I apologize. The goal, the goal is to get there. The goal is to get there without having to kill yourself on the way. And sometimes the little things, the little things. But Conan the Destroyer is with us again today. He says this. He's got two of them, actually. One coming up after this one. I tried smart noting this week's episode of History of Power and was amazed at how much information I was able to glean. You are truth. Uh, may go back and do all of the episodes. Certainly with that show, wouldn't hurt you. That's a college course and then some. Yeah. And, and not what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm taking a class. Do you know every week I take a class from a seminary professor named the Reverend Dr. Professor Adam Kutz, a class on how to discern the signs of the times. Um, it's pretty cool. It's a private class, but you get to listen for free. It's called A Brief History of Power with Two White Guys. It's a podcast you can subscribe anywhere you would look for podcasts except for that one place nobody goes. Is it Stitcher? Stitcher? You can't find it on Stitcher? One of them. I think it's on Stitcher. It's not on whatever. The other one. Uh, I Heart Radio. Blah, 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 blah. Conan also says, have you ever read The 48 Laws of Power? No, that sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm still in the art of war and skin of the game very, very slowly at this point. Um, I did have an interesting thought about stories. Ooh. But, no, um, no, I haven't thought about that. That's my answer to your question. But there's another question here from y'all's. Let's go here. Because uh, A is not the end. Get rid of you. And go to the high-handed sin, which I promised you we would talk about. I will confess, I am tired of answering, answering this question. I hate this question. Because Christians are needlessly bothered by this question. This question is based upon a lie that you automatically tell yourself when you read the text, which is that this text is there for me, even though I'm a Christian. <laughs> and and you just need to not believe that lie. That text is not there for the Christian to be afraid. The text is there for the non-Christian to be afraid. Now, if you're afraid, that means you're a Christian. So believe in Jesus. You have not come into the high-handed sin. You're afraid of Jesus? You're afraid of his judgment? You're forgiven. Don't do it again. Stop. Go get some help. Get some accountability, right? The one who has committed the high-handed sin is not afraid of punishment for that sin. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He'll defend it to his dying day. Now, when David says, forgive me, O Lord, from hidden sins, well, you can believe that God answers that prayer. <laughs> and that's why it's there and why you should pray the Psalms. I've said this before, have I not? Uh, try smartening those instead of just my information. You'll be amazed at what God is actually saying to you through the scriptures. And it's, it's real, it's truth, it can apply to other people too. Um, so, uh, what if I have done this, committed the high-handed sin? Uh, I saw your response to HP Weeks, zombies and lies, had a question, the sin against the Holy Ghost, intentional high-handed sin, is it still forgivable? Of course it is. It is, if you if you are unrepentant, can you be forgiven? If possible, right? If, if you believe, then yes, you 
are. Does it happen in history? Yes, it does. Does the Bible say don't bank on it? Yeah, it says don't bank on it. <laughs> in fact, it may not happen, right? So you have all of the, the Hebrews 6 issue there, right? Which is not as clear as you would need to be to say dogmatically no one can come back. And we know from other places people people do come back. Peter, you know, comes back to begin with, you know? So uh, it's, uh, it's, it is not as easy as a black or white in or out once for all, aside from the fact that from God's perspective it is, and you're in. And the war that the devil's waging is to get you to forget that. That's it. But God's answer is you're in, you're forgiven. Can I be forgiven for the high end of sin? Yes. Do you want to be? You want to be? You are. Which means you haven't really committed it. Because the only way you really commit it is that you don't want forgiveness all the way up to the day you die. And you die, and on, on the day of judgment, you will have committed the high end of sin. Because you're not going to stand up saying, oh, no, Lord, don't throw me away. You're going to see all the fire and the wrath and be like, well, it's because, and you're going to like blame God for it. But that's not where you are. You're terrified, right? So obviously, you're not in that position. This is why I hate this question, right? Because the answer isn't really an answer to the question. It's like, look, you knew before you asked. You know what the gospel is. You just aren't believing it because you want to accuse yourself. You're listening to the lie. Stop listening to the lie. Stop listening to the lie. You don't have to tell yourself that lie anymore. That's the devil's lie. You're forgiven. Say that one over and over again. You are paid for. You are paid for. Have you done this yet in the mirror? Wait, uh-oh, uh-oh. Am I going to bring up? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it just because of the super chat that pointed out how painful this is. Wait, whoa, this is just for you. What was it? It was, it was, I know who it was. I just can't think of it while I'm talking. He is risen. You are paid for. You are mortal now. He won't be long anyway. Oh, goodness gracious. I totally forgot. Yeah. We got to do it. We got to go here now. I think this is interesting. Can you read that? Nope. Oops. <laughs> Apparently, I'm racist. Although, I think at the time I initially wrote this, I was chiding the LCMS, which this would be a fair statement, basically, at that point. However, as I did another draft, it became about first world thinking and modernism. So I'll call that a typo. And by all means, if you would like to call me out as racist and tweet about it, do it. It'll help. It'll get the word out, so I don't mind. But uh, that'll be out of the <laughs> 2.0 when we release the update. That'll say something like first world people. <laughs> so you should read it that way now and understand that uh, in my neck of the woods, uh, sadly, we don't have enough engagement with first world people that are uh, of another ethnicity. Uh, we should. I'd like to have more. I'm trying it myself in my own personal life. A little tough. The barriers are high to cultural appropriation if it's like engaging each other, right? But what's the real point here? Risk aversion. Struggling 21st century organizations. We've been talking about this already, haven't we? An ingrained prejudice of cultural fear. White Anglo-Saxon Protestantism acts like it's afraid. Black Protestantism doesn't, though. So there's something to this here, right? It may, black Protestantism may be pro-abortion too often, but um, it, it's not afraid. That's why so many of us are clinging to our puritanical strategies. We've got to fill the board positions because we're afraid. If you weren't afraid, you would, you would know the board positions aren't helping you. But more than this, television is made as weak. And if you don't believe that, then you're watching more TV than you should be. <laughs> you don't know how strong you could be. Uh, it makes us stupid, too. It is a, a stupid box. There's no question about that in terms of education and science. Uh, and it, it numbs us. That's probably the worst thing of all that TV does. Is it numbs you. And you. You walk away from it depressed and numb. The worst thing you do with a modern man then is fail to make him laugh because he has to be laughing to, to deal with all that existential dread and his fear and his numbness. So with these pitiful daisies, swift to wither without entertainments, raining down like manna from above. However, we're not dead yet, Christians. Just because it's the world we live in, 
and our sin is real doesn't mean it's all that there is. Jesus Christ does not snuff out his church just because it smolders for a couple generations. His promises are bigger than that. So, uh, you know, peddlers dance for the children to scoff at them. Modern Christians change what they say so the skeptics can, like, laugh, right? Uh, And it's not our job to stop even those heterodox Christians from being fools. Not at all. Uh, It is up to us, you and me, and any other simple Christian of honest faith and biblical commitment to stand upon the ruins of this dusk of a dark new age. Uh, um, It should be a dawn, right, of a dark new age. Uh, well, no, it's a dusk. It's a dusk of a dark new age. Yeah. So we're entering and winter is coming, right? Uh, this this sentence needs to be re- reworked and be more like positively saying what we should be as opposed to what we won't be. But the won'ts are kind of powerful, right? We're the coals of being post-colonial. The post-colonial world's falling around us, and yet we're going to colonize it as Christians, right? But not the way the, the wicked colonists did with just money and taking. We're going to take it for the good of our neighbors by prayer, by careful instruction, and just neighbor by neighbor, family by family, man by man. Yeah. Post-institutional, well, certainly not post-Lord's Supper, uh, certainly not post-Word and Sacrament, but certainly probably post-trusting institutions of higher orders to just work cuz. Yeah, post that. Uh, post-fake news, recognizing that the mythologies of the world are manifold, and even the things you assumed to be obviously real um, may not be, especially if they don't jive with scripture. Uh, and yeah, it's a modern dystopia. We live in a modern dystopia. We've got to own that, not be afraid of it, and realize then, okay, let's go to where we really want to be, Sorry, shaky camera. This is pretty big. Christianity promises conversion. The fact is, he is risen is going to convert people. Okay, That's the first section. Probably could be a clearer section. Conversion results from conversation. You see the connection in those two words? That to have a conversation is to be converted. To engage the mind of another person with words is to be potentially converted, at least. But really, it is is to cross-convert. To conversate is to convert. So Christians must learn the art of conversation so that we may speak well of those that they would convert to us through our conversation. Yeah, And that's, that's the idea of what we want to move into. Oh, nothing there. Right here, conversions. That a man become aware he is a Christian. It's the work of only one person within this age, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. Again, this book... Talk them into it. It's absolutely free in digital format. You can buy it for 16 bucks, I think, on Amazon.com. It's doing not so poorly, which is great. It's not doing like radically good either, but that's okay. We want a slow trajectory of growth, and the quality of the book will make it rise or fall on its own, provided that what? Well, we continue to talk about the value that it does have where it does have that. Uh, thank you, Jedi Knight, Anakin Cringewalker, for a super chat, 10 bucks. He says, I'm in Princeton this week exploring the remains of the economy. <laughs> Thought, why isn't the sack of Rome in 1527 talked about more? The gates of hell quite literally overcame the Pope's church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About a thousand years into his reign, too, which is really kind of nuts. But that makes me think of of, of Daniel. Uh, I've been studying Daniel 10 through 12 this week, and I'm not going to go into it right now. What a fascinating thing uh, that section of scripture is. The sermon this week, we'll touch on it. Oh, we're going to do most of our work in Revelation. It's St. Michael, all angels observed. Oh, what a great day. So make sure you turn into the, turn into the, turn into, tune into the preached word this morning on this channel tomorrow morning, sometime around 11 o'clock, it'll go live. Um, and you can always listen to that later on the podcast as a bonus, yada, yada. That's a brief history power with two white guys. Bonus content is all Christianity. Sorry if you're a pagan and like the show, um, you just have to skip the bonus stuff. So um, why isn't the sack of Rome in 1527 talked about more? Uh, frisbee, you great, magnificent hand. Can you grab that and throw that into the every history of power question? 
bag, throw that back at me. Um, so we catch it later and we'll get that into that context because that's the place where Professor Kuntz is going to answer that way better than I will. Um, and from a Leatherneck Vet, that's awesome, just gives me the five bucks. I appreciate it, Leatherneck Vet. We do still have some more of your questions. Uh, Lucas, we got you covered, I think, there. Pretty good. Oh, this one I might not give you a great answer on. So I can start. I can start. But this isn't my bailiwick, right? I don't really spend a lot of time on this one. Um, although it does have a theological counterpart in liberation theology, although they, they are different, I think, but my guess would be liberation theology and its roots go back to some of the same sources as critical race theory. Again, that's a hunch. Uh, ideas have consequences and therefore leave footprints usually. Uh, so is critical race theory compatible with the church? The answer is no. Uh, can, a, can a pastor holding critical race theory still preach? Well, of course he can. He's just a false teacher when he does that. He can still preach the truth sometimes, but if he's going to preach critical race theory, uh, I'm pr- pretty confident he doesn't believe that all men are uh, in Adam as one race. Uh, he believes there's more than, than, than one human race because there's more than one ethnicity. And he's he's extended the idea of family as a hyper-segregationalist idea, which I would call racism, actually. He, he's a racist. And so, yeah, no, criti- racists cannot preach Christianity very well because they're racists. And and unfortunately, even if they're calling other things racist, but but it doesn't matter. You can, they've lost the power of words and deconstruction does this again. Like they, they remove the meaning by using it to accuse your enemies of what you are doing. The meaning becomes so vacuous and so empty that nothing really means anything anymore. Uh, and so as a result, you know, can he still preach? She still preach? Of course, the person's going to stand up there and opine. How long will faithful Christians be faithful Christians? In that context, on that food, can a Christian listen to that their whole life and still die alive in a Christian? Yes. Is that the path of wisdom? No. <laughs> and so it's like like wandering through sludge is harder than taking the narrow but well-paved road, right? And so if you want to wander through the sludge for the sake of the zeitgeist of the times, which critical race theory is very much the zeitgeist of the times, uh, the spirit of the age, the devil's very own preferred narrative in argument, whatever you see when you turn the TV on, right? And since that's here, right, it's his narrative. It's not about uh, the critical ethnic reality of one family designated from whom to come the one authentic king of all mankind who was born already and has proven it by his crowning and ascension, that's not what you mean, is it? No. So, I, I, yeah, it's, it's about uh, something else. Now, if you want more on this and the history of critical race theory, all that I know, which is not enough, because I didn't smart note it when I listened, comes from Ben Shapiro. So go go to his podcast, ignore everything else he says, and just kind of you know look for one of his podcasts that talks about critical race theory. He's got a couple of them where he goes like into super detail on it. He goes point by point, the source, all where it all comes from. I've not listened to those ones, right? But he says they're out there, so they're out there. Go find that, and you will understand. You as a Christian, just by going through his course, and he's a Jew, on critical race theory, theory, it'll be so obvious to you how ungodly this is as a root idea, regardless of what anybody says. Oh, I think this, I think that. That person is a flower on the end of a root. They don't really know what they're doing, right? They're just following whatever they heard, whatever most charismatic and emotional words were said recently. That's what they're doing, right? But you go back and see what it actually means and look at the consequences of what it means. And you've got something as diabolical as Nazi Germany. Straight up, it is that racist, right? So just whatever. They're going to call you racist. I'm going to be called a racist for saying that. Because the Nazi platform now is to call Nazis Nazis, believing you're dumb enough to believe it. So whatever. If you're dumb enough to believe it, I can't help you. If you kill me, I'm going to rise from the dead, so go for it. You know? Whatever. Uh, but the thing is, like, this is, this is not something you should be entertaining. It really isn't. Uh, can you engage something like this so as to take it over and attack it? Yeah, absolutely. So if a pastor is doing that, that's interesting. But again, 
attacking the power of the zeitgeist at its greatest peak. When the mobs are running around shouting this stuff, you're going to try to like redefine it. The mob's shouting. You want to say something different than the mob, right? Uh, you want the mob to be quiet so you can talk about he's risen from the dead. How the one race of humanity has been run, completed, finished, and as one man risen so that all ethnicities, all nations are baptized, washed clean in him. All nations. That's what it means. All races, all nations, all ethnicities, whatever, whatever word you want to use. All families, all tribes, all scepters, all powers that are human. I asked because a friend of mine is teaching a position at his church and he started getting into the weeds with CRT. I'm sorry. He shouldn't. <laughs> uh, he should be warned about it. Uh, don't go there. And if you, if you can't see enough that he's going to go there, he should not go there at all. He's clearly not prepared. Uh, I, I've looked at it and listened to a couple of his positions on this. I'm curious what to think about it. But again, you really want the, 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 the ammo. You got to go look up. Shapiro has done the work. And in like one or two 45-minute podcasts, which is a course, think of it as a course, you're going to get the absolute gist of what you need for your conversation with your friend. And honestly, the best thing to do for your friend, don't give him my answer. Your friend say, hey, look, I would like to learn more about this. Will you listen to Shapiro with me? We'll both take notes. And we'll have a conversation afterwards. Right? These two episodes, just these two episodes. Ignore everything else politically. Don't don't get into any other weeds on anything else. Just critical race theory. Let him teach you it because the guy knows how to research. Right? Let a, let a guy who knows how to research give you information. And, and then you know have your conversation with your friend based on what you find together. That's the best course for this kind of stuff. Right? Not, hey, go watch this. Hey, you should do this other thing. I, you have to be the conversant, the conversationalist to convert uh, the person. Right? Follow me on that one. Question about my homeboy, CFW Walther. Been a while since I, I thought about good old CFW. Um, I would like to know, says R, if it's worth reading CFW Walther on predestination. That's a really interesting question, by the way. Uh, I, I think I had heard either you or another SMS pastor that he was off base in his teaching on that particular subject. I don't think you heard me say that about Walther on predestination. I'm pretty sure he was a pillar in helping establish what survived the predestination controversy in the LCM. That's what we call it, at least. And the Iowa Senate, which became the LCA eventually, um, it went the other way. So uh, I, I'm not sure that, that I would say that you ought to be wary of Walther on that. Um, Walther just needs to be in his context and not, you know, w- one sentence here and there in his theses, especially if he's got 25 theses, like you can't just take one thesis by itself and then trump every other thing ever with it. I and mean, you can't do that with Luther's either. So people do that. Um, uh, let me come back. But you're not going to find a lot of dross in Walther in terms of like non-biblical stuff. The real critique I would have of Walther is he's just going to be really boring to read. I'm going to come back and tell you how to do it in a moment, though. Um, so, but you do not know, uh, you heard about it, wanted to get your opinion. His book on Law and Gospel is great. That's why I'm interested. Yeah. So Law and Gospel, and I like even better, God's No, God's Yes, which is an abbreviated version of Law and Gospel, uh, is, is amazing work. His church and office is fairly amazing work. Um, uh, it's amazing work. What you have to do, though, is realize that Walther isn't writing books. They're not books. They're classes. He, he, you have a syllabus for a class in which he gave you the teaching written out in front of you. And in some cases, like Law Gospel, it is indeed the notes of some of the students at times. Uh, so you got to look at it that way. And so treat each chapter or each thesis like a class, right? And then rather than read him with a highlighter, especially, like there's books you should read with a highlighter and then go back and smart note. Don't do that with him. With him, he's going to be so oblong in his presentation <laughs> that, that you just... You're going to want to write down most of what you read from him. And if you go and you do that, what you're going to end up doing is looking up like a billion Bible verses. Because mostly what he does is he says a sentence and then gives you like three to seven Bible verses for it. So if you just do that, 
right? You got an hour on the first sentence he said. <laughs> Looking all that up, making a note about it. You got, a, you got at least like two to five cards, right? Totally worth it. Absolutely worth it. I might suggest if you're going to do that, before you do that, maybe do the epitome of the formula of Concord, the Augsburg Confession, or uh, Treatise on the Power of Primacy of the Pope would be a lot of fun. You might try those first since they are your confession of faith, uh, if you're a Lutheran. But, but uh, that said, yeah, absolutely. I can recommend Walther. I don't know that there's any Walther I cannot recommend. I will say I am on a color me skeptical that the exegesis in church and office on voters' assemblies is all there is to be said. Color me skeptical on that, right? But that's that's what it is, right? Um, are are the deacons ordained or not? I disagree with him on that point. I think they're ordained, and that leads to a different conversation, but I don't think a different answer than he gives in church and office. So I think we're on the same page. The difference is where you are going to exegetically support your argument from. Does this Bible verse prove it, or does this Bible verse prove it? And that's, you know, as Lutherans, we can argue about that to the day as long and still be buddies, right? So I don't, I don't think there's much dross you're going to find in Walther. Um, not really at all. Uh, uh, he's, he's a weird dude, though. There is that. Another, another uh, super chat from Jedi Knight, Anakin Krinswalker. He says, more or less, a thousand years between when Charlemagne was crowned and Napoleon killed the Pope and crowned himself, if you're curious. Yeah, look at that. Isn't that something? I just don't believe that, though. Like, I believe that, but it doesn't fit. Because if that's the case, then, then, no, it does fit. So this is why we struggle with calling the Pope the Antichrist. It's because he's not in the church anymore, maybe. That'd be a something. That, that's a weird, weird thought. <laughs> I don't even want to go there alive. I just did. Oh, goodness. The good thing about speculation is that you don't believe it to be true necessarily, and you flee to Christ where the certainty is. So whoever the end times evil eschatological prince of this age, king, is managing all things into darkness and chaos since Christ ascended, and yet never outside of Christ's own control because the church Again, the ship piloting through it, according to faith in Christ's resurrection, is going to survive all of that. That battle's going on. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. It's a real thing. And you might as well, you might as well push pause in that video game of life. Let the screens and the input stop and say, wait a minute. What is the right thing? What should I carry in my bag of tricks? What words and spells should I prepare for the day that I face? Yeah? Uh, how should the word of God be? My life, my bread, my food, my hope, my strong tower. I promised you, I would give you your Psalms for the Sons of Solomon. Psalm reading schedule. So, here it is. Uh, I'm sorry, those of you who cannot abide motion sickness. I apologize. There we go. You can find this on, um, if you go to the hashtag 113487, you should be able to find this. Uh, on Instagram, there's a couple of us doing it now. If you want to be a son of Solomon, this is what it takes. You got to own a Bible, carry it with you. Don't leave the house without your Bible. Don't leave the house without your prayer book. Uh, that one, I'll give you some room on. Wiggle on that till you find one that fits in your pocket. And uh, don't leave your house without a crucifix. I will wear one around my neck all the time. I've taken to carrying a physical one into the car. I'm not yet brave enough to always take it into every store with me, but I kind of want to. Might start a conversation. The point is carry a crucifix as your focal point for remembering you're going to pray these Psalms every day. In the morning, you're going to pray 123, 125, 127 in that order at any pace or speed you like. I usually take about mm, 30, 45 minutes. I, uh, I do it with yoga and music, and it's quite 
rejuvenated. It's how I start my day every single day. Midday, I try to get into the day. Psalms of 124, 129. These are psalms of struggle as opposed to psalms of commitment and opening. These will, they're about how, you know, lunchtime, I don't feel like I've done enough as long as short there. Vespers is your option, right? Optional, audible. Do I have time today at four o'clock to stop and do Vespers or do I just need to go to dinner? And at six, it's six, it's too late. I'm going to go to dinner. But if you can pray 126, 128 that are all about God establishing you and your family into perpetuity right before dinner, it feels awful nice. And then come back at Compline for 130 and 131 and let the scriptures say to God how you can't do it and he has to. I contend that if a bunch of men pray these every day together intentionally with the hope that for a year, these words will be our boundary, our watermark, our essence, the wisdom that we live by and die by and that we build this men's group on, I just don't think it can really go too wrong. We may not get very big, I don't know, but it's going to be good for you to pray these psalms every day. Day. You should call upon him and he shall answer you. He will be with you in trouble to deliver you and honor you. Psalm 95, Psalm 91, 15. Uh, the first duty of man is to hallow God's name by speaking it in holy prayer. Gamification. What if every single psalm is a magic spell that creates what it says in your heart and mind as you pray it? according to God's Holy Spirit and election for the good of your salvation. Don't you want to cast it? You know what I'm saying? So uh, I, I highly recommend, considering that a psalm prayed out loud is stronger than a magic spell, is <laughs> it's quite more wizardry-ish than a magic, magic spell. Because a magic spell, again, Simon, he's trying to manipulate things. You can't manipulate nothing. God's going to manipulate you. <laughs> The Spirit of God is going to come and change you with these words. It's an inputting magic spell, right? The Word of God is being spoken aloud from your mouth to your ears, recycling the knowledge. It drives it deep inside, and it becomes the framework for your actual physical and emotional reality, your body, mind, spirit, all that kind of stuff. Is there anything I have not gotten to in my pile? Oh, updates, 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 because we're at 1055. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had some questions about dungeons and uh, fast and furious dragons. DNF and F and D, um, it's still there. It still exists as a hope committed to the Lord. You know, may it, may it succeed, Lord. May it be a game I play. Right? I just, I just, I'm not going to do it until I can do it without pressure. <laughs> uh, it has to be a game, and and so I think it's coming. The, the the those who are watchers that are on a team and know what's you know are connected in that way, they're probably still ready to go. The other guys who are local, I'll have to check with them when we actually start to see if they still want to go. Um, I think I'm close. I just got to convince myself I can do it. Uh, you may not know this, but I'm a man filled with self doubt. I have more self doubt than um, probably a two year old. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I hardly say something that later I'm not, why did I say that? I'm not sure I said it right. I could have said it better. So, so this, this is like, it's like that line of no return in which you either are going to believe you can uh, do what you think you can do or not. <laughs> and why, why do I say it? Because game mastering ain't no joke. Uh, ain't no joke. So, and if you don't know that, don't worry about it. And you, you probably don't care about that. Anyway, it's on its way. Someday, maybe pray for it. We'll see if it happens. This too, writing. One of my writings. Someone asked me recently, what's your next book? I just wrote this one. <laughs> I'm going to talk about this one for a year. Uh, do I still have the potential of fiction work? Ember fall of dust or otherwise? Oh yeah. It's sitting here. It's just, I'll be real honest with you. I used to read fiction like no one's business. 
like every night. Every night. Now, so before I was diagnosed with sleep apnea, that's part of what killed it. Uh, I'd, I'd lie down, open my book, get my Kindle, didn't matter which one, you know, read my fiction. Ah, uh, 15 pages, 20 pages a day. Work through books pretty quickly. You know, big books, though. I mean, I, you know, the uh, Stormlight Archives, I mean, it took a while to get through, but I did it, right? I, I was up to the new ones about to come out. I don't know if I'll, I'll get it or not, but the, this, what happened was sleep apnea meant I couldn't really read on my side easily. The mask just doesn't, doesn't let that happen. Uh, and so I stopped reading before going to bed, started listening to Hardcore History, which is kind of a nice little lullaby, honestly. And, and I stopped reading fiction because I couldn't bring myself to read fiction during the day because it's not work. It doesn't produce something. It doesn't, I'm not paid to do that, right? So I have this real overactive present work ethic kind of guilty conscience thing where like if I'm not constantly working away at some sort of visible manifestation, then apparently I'm a bad person. It's really terrible. You know, if you think about it, uh, shame language and it doesn't get justification right. Like that's my inner monologue, right? Um, you, you got one too, right? Uh, so in any case, you know, the self-doubt on all this stuff um, and then finding that when I try to go back to fiction, I've tried a couple more times now, four or five different books, rec- all wrecks from people. Like, they're like, those were my favorites. Like, okay, cool. I'll try this one. And I read like two paragraphs and I'm just like, I just don't want to read it anymore. And that's really weird for me. Like, I, you know me. You've been following me for years. Like video games and movies. And all this. I love the stories. But I just got, I don't know, burned out on it a little bit here. Cause, and part of it is, is the rediscovery that the actual video game of character I'm playing in my real life every day when I wake up, that God made, um, that story and its lore is just as deep as any lore in any other story. Why am I geeking out on fake stuff? Why don't I geek out on the real stuff? Like, for reals. Like, it, well, again, I think you have to reframe it. You have to put it back into something you can associate with. So for me, the fantasy world and the fantasy fiction that I've had in the past, sci-fi stuff too, it's amazing to see how much of that is, is really what the Bible's talking about. It's just an unseen battle. Uh, you know, it's, it's seen, but it's not seen the same way as you know, aliens flying through the sky and stuff. Well, usually. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, so then when I come to try to write something, it's like, well, why would I write fiction if I don't want to read fiction? That seems kind of selfish. <laughs> but maybe I don't want to read fiction because I need to write fiction. And, and that could be it too. So I don't know. I'm going to sit on this thing for a bit. I'm just going to let it stew. And I got another work in the process that may or may not be a book, and it may, it may be a book many years from now. Um, it, it has a lot of potential, and yet I just don't want to – I don't know. I just wrote this. And, like, this one just came out too, right? <laughs> like, like, have you seen that one yet? Do you even know it's there? Like, there's these two. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a year. I'm going to teach this. I'm going to teach this. And then we'll circle back around and pull in some of these other things. I've established – like the framework, right? Like, let's, let's understand this. Let's get it where you as a viewer and a fan and, and part of the team, the network that's working together to create men's groups, where we know how to talk to people about Jesus, where we understand the basics of our Christianity, where we know why the supper is the supper, right? Um, I, I, I need to just get you guys to read these. <laughs> I will focus on that for a bit. As much as I want to write more, and I know I will, um, what it will be is not going to be on purpose. It's going to be whatever comes out uh, in a year or two. When I look at all the notes that I've been collecting as I've done the work of helping start Sons of Solomon and, and trying to preach through these things and, and get people to uh, become more comfortable with dis- uh, diplomatics and discipleship. After all of that, I'm sure there'll be a pile of notes somewhere that I've collected. It's like, ooh, I could just put it together and it'll be just like this. Yeah, let's do it. So that's where that is, right? Um, but it's a strange thing. It's hard. It's like it's like a midlife crisis all over again. I've always considered myself a writer, uh, and so now, well, now I'm not working on a book, Mad Mondays, 
Right. So this also dovetails well into what is Med Mondays for? Remember, we're dating mining at that e-magazine every week to support your faith and its understanding in a world of white noise and lack of facts, right? And so I want to give much attention to that too every week and not be quite so scattershot in it. Uh, my team does a fantastic job, but in the last couple of weeks and even months with the move, it's not like I've been pioneering, like, let's start a trajectory. Let's try to teach or lead through this. Let's see if we can land somewhere at a certain point. Um, we're doing that, but not as much as, as I would like to have my hand on the wheel. So that's what's going on. All of that, if you care about what I just said, I'm going to do less and less of that, I think, in the show, although I'll do some at the end sometimes. But that's what the Mad Christian Discord is going to be then made to have these conversations happen there first. So if you like these answers, like what else is going on? I've been wondering about this. Well, Front Burnered is Mad Christian Discord, a place for these conversations that does not require you know live show, you paying me money, all this. It's just instead of a place where, where conversations happen, where I will exist as a personal. I don't promise to always respond to every tag you put my name on, um, but there will be other people there who will, right? Getting that up and built as the way that we can congeal all the other things we want to move toward. Do you remember when I was talking about a comic book? Do you remember when the idea was we're going to publish a comic book? That's this plan. Like everything you've seen is that plan, but we know that to do that, we need a certain level of subscriptions on the newsletter in order to make the funds we need to make happen to be guaranteed so we can know we're going to publish a comic book when we start. We don't want to start that till we have that many on the newsletter. We need that many fans. We've done the reading. The science is clear, right? So the project's on. Um, uh, Ancient Legacy, the comic book, it's it's ready, right? It just needs to be published, um, and we're working on that. So that's there, too. There's a lot of balls in the air, a lot of people invested. Um, thank you for continuing to watch and care about those things for what they are. Uh, where, to go back to Luthenauer, where they're doing the best work today that I am aware of is where they are in foreign language areas, translating and supporting the translation of Lutheran works into those languages for the sake of the pastors in those areas, right? That kind of work is immeasurably, val- immeasurably valuable and only done by groups when they pull in the same direction together. The only way you get a group to pull in the same direction together is that you force them to or you convince them to, right? Uh, so here, here I am trying to convince you. And the Mad Christian Discord will be the place where that conviction continues to build. It is your network for conviction in a, in a dark, evil, white noise age. And if you don't love that the unification of the Christian church as Catholic Christianity uh, begins with the Mad Christian Discord, then, then you don't know irony even a little bit. Um, I think that... Does it? It gets me all the way through. By the way, Sons of Solomon, pro-life, procreation, environment, pro-my neighbor's rights. That'll be a big part of what we care about. And again, the roundtable and Pendragon principles. Uh, we have the Solomonic rule, eventually a way to talk about the Ten Commandments without sounding like you're talking about the Ten Commandments. And Echo is that too, but I got another one to share. Uh, so there's lots of resources coming through Sons of Solomon, but until we have groups to send the resources to and questions to know which resources are most needed, then you know we're also flying in the dark and we're just going to be pioneering our own. So again, if you've already sent the email, hang tight. You're start getting emails. If you haven't told us you're going to pioneer a group, let us know. Hey, I'm going to talk to my pastor. I'm going to get his permission that this is a good idea. Um, I'm going to get him to be involved in teaching in some way. Um, and, uh, and then I'm going to go, right? You're going to try to get three, two guys together to do something. And if you don't like shooting guns, then go fishing. If you don't like fishing, then crochet. I, I don't know, right? I mean, I mean, it's probably not like the winner target demographic men's crocheting, but you know, things happen. So whatever, go, right? And then let us know what you need. 
we're going to be following that into the Discord, right? And there'll be a place there for you to go. So if you, this, I should say this, if you don't have the app Discord and you are eager to be involved in this, you can download the app. You can uh, create your own account. Uh, in fact, if you've sent us your email, but not, no, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Just create your own account uh, and, and then maybe explore what Discord has to offer so you, offer so you understand it when you get ours. Because there's going to be, it's going to be kind of complex. There's some stuff already built. You're going to be jumping into a small community that already exists. Um, so, uh, so just have the app and kind of at least know where to point and click to make your picture change, right? And all that kind of stuff. You can do that right now. And then I, I, I promise you within one to two weeks, you're going to start hearing more stuff. Uh, if you've signed up for emails to come your way, I think I have expressed it all with the exception of Daniel 10 to 12. You'll have to turn it, tune in, uh, later for that. 1105. So many comments. How do we do today, everybody? I only see 71. That seems we might be down. And two negatives. I love it. I got some hate. The more hate we get, the better. Hate means people are finding us. Um, it looks like there's no other super chats. Just going to go backwards through the chats because I don't want to get off yet. Thanks for all the pizza slices uh, for this, uh, the shorter shows. Kind of an update on that, too. We're having some internal personnel transitions when it comes to posting. So uh, there's one individual who's been working as the poster that, you know, I make content, it goes out, gets chopped up, comes back, gets resent out again. And that person's moving on. Uh, he found a really good job, which is awesome. Uh, and, uh, and so we got someone else coming on uh, to help. Uh, and that means that if you're reliant upon the short videos, uh, you're reliant upon the podcast, there might be a hiccup or two in terms of when they come out over the next two weeks as, as hands change transition, right? One hand's doing it, the clicking, and now it'll be a different hand. So uh, just bear with us if you like go on Thursday for something and it's not quite there yet, right? Um, so that's going on behind the scenes. Again, all to get the Discord going so that we can build the network so that we can publish the comic book so that we can publish... And what's after that, right? I, there's ideas, but you have to join the Discord to hear that kind of inner, inner talk. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I really... Really, really, really uh, would like to keep talking to you. But I probably should go do some other stuff. Here we go. Arsan, we already talked about you today. But it's hard to find a nice wooden rosary-style crucifix that doesn't have some sort of Roman Catholic medallion on it. Interesting thought. True enough. Let's see. Mine is not wooden. So there you go. Um, But the thing is, this is where I'm going to tell you, don't let the Roman Catholic symbolism, if it's got originally Christian symbolism, be what they say it is. Take it back. Don't be afraid of the rosary's wrong picture on the crucifix if you can understand it rightly. Because if there's truth there, then just tell the lie it's a lie. So um, I had a – once I used to wear a a little medallion that had a crucifix on one side. And on the back, it had a woman who was holding a child, right? And it's like, well, do I think I'm praying to Mary or just acknowledge that she was indeed the Theotokos and that this is a reality? He is born. He's incarnate. And we're celebrating the incarnation of God just as I celebrated his death. Like, that's okay, right? So granted, there are some uh, nigh on uh, Masonic level stuff going on in Roman Catholic uh, symbolism as well. Uh, so you got to be careful. But I would say um, don't, don't let the error um, have to be an error if it could be a truth. Uh, a lie is a lie because of the mouth of the liar, uh, not necessarily because of what he was said. You can lie with the truth. That's part of the problem, right? It's how bad we are. And so again, um, I try to think of some other example. Oh, I know. No, that won't work. Yeah, no, this will work. This is fun. I love this. You guys know a little bit about my magic card nerdiness already. This is my recent most favorite one, the War Priest of Thune. War Priest of Thune. He's a little 2-2. 
which in the game means he's gonna die probably. You're like, you aren't really gonna do much with this guy except when he comes in, he does something. He destroys an enchantment. Now you don't have to know what that means. To know what enchantment is, right? There's something that like does a broad thing, and he comes in, he just poof, it's gone. It's like he breaks through the noise, right? And like suddenly, what you were, the spell you were under, is no longer what you're under because the sacred might of Thune, that's his god, I suppose, thunders in his nephish, in his breath and his soul. Uh, um, so I like that picture. You probably can't read this because it's really poorly written, but I know that this will turn out for my deliverance according to my expectation and hope. That, according to the Spirit of Jesus Christ, in nothing shall I be ashamed, but with all boldness, so also shall see Christ magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Now, there's nothing Christian on the front of this card. But I am convicted that I shall see this turn out for my deliverance according to my expectation and hope. That in nothing shall I be ashamed as I break through the white noise, as the breath of Jesus thunders in my mouth. Of nothing shall I be ashamed, but shall with all boldness see Christ magnified in my body, whether by my life or by my death. You can take a symbol that's not Christian and you can see your Christian story in it. The better part is every time I play this card, if I ever do again, if I want a pretty bad card, if I ever played this card, I'd be thinking about the Bible verse middle of the game too. Like you can go the other way. You just have to believe the one is the real, and the other one's a lie. This is a story. It's a myth. It's nothing, right? This is real, and this is then me and Saint Paul and you in the battle, knowing we could die, but unafraid because around us the enchantment of the stronghold and the lies it breaks away simply by He has risen. You are paid for. Boom, done. Right? Ooh, a psalm cast. Is the word of God heard? Uh, so, I think that probably is a great way to end this day. Thank you, all of you who have been here. Thank you for supporting me on Patreon. Those of you who do, I need that. I rely on that. Please continue with that and whatnot. You want more? You want more? I'm going to give you more. Um, sign up if you haven't got it already. I don't know. I'm just talking about my my back end. You know, it's Saturday morning. Now, take what you've believed, take what you've heard, and uh, meander out into this day. Knowing you're a son, a king, a priest, someone built to lift up your head and stand upon the ruins of this age and not wallow in the muck with those who have no hope. Yeah. Stay mad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?